On this episode of Reaper Rambo's Crazy Thoughts, I get to have a special in-studio guest, the one, the only, Josh Hubbard. For those of you that don't know, Hubbard BJJ is for real. That dude is a legit black belt, so just saying. Our conversation was meant to be mostly about MMA, but it kind of goes everywhere. So, uh, you know, hope you guys enjoy. I really do. And for all those uh, involved in the meeting process of how I managed to end up meeting Hubbard, I appreciate that. Giving some shout outs to Michael Bateman and Team NXG. You guys are uh, definitely 100% the real deal. And I'm glad that my son has the opportunity to train there. So, uh, yeah, that's what's up. Anyway, hope you guys enjoy the show. And uh, don't forget to comment. Give me some heads up, some possible new show ideas, whatever. I don't mind. Any information is better than no information. Till next time. Sponsorship brought to you by Weldon Auto Detail. For auto detailing, well done. Man, I tell you what, these guys couldn't do a better job on your car if you wanted them to. I really can't be happier with how well they get into all those fine crevices, cracks, and everything else. Brings the interior back to life, the exterior back to life. I mean, who could say more? And for the price points, it's very reasonable to know that somebody could spend a whole day, a whole day, making your baby shine and shimmer like it did the day it was new, or at least as close to new as you can get it. And how some of their fans even say it's as close to showroom quality as you could expect. Weldon Auto Detail can be found on Google and also on Facebook at Weldon Auto Detail. Check them out. Show your support. And if you can, drop by and let them clean up your ride. It's about time for an intro. Reaper Rambo's crazy thoughts. Rampage, and this motherfucker's talking to a giant gorilla. You know, it's when I say giant gorilla, this gorilla's. I don't know if y'all seen the movie or the previous. Any the gorilla grows rapidly because of four games. So, <laughs> man, so, fuck you, dude. You're a piece of shit. We're twenty eight. We know about the N sixty four Rampage right, so, game. So this fool goes straight Play up like all that shit. He cheats. He cheats. You're supposed to hold up the circle game thing below your waist before you punch him by the arm. Now he holds it up here around his head. And then I completely remembered that it was now an obscene gesture. So I'm over here like, I can't even punch my wife for looking at it right now. So. I know, right? Well, if you're going to do it, it's got to be for fun and games. Um, <laughs> sorry, you're bleeding. Hang on. Um, you know, but he holds this thing up, and I can't believe it. I can't believe it that he's not under any kind of scrutiny for this thing. Oh, the Rock and the Rampage holding up the. Uh... With this gesture, this fucking okay, but it's upside down and by your waist, which makes, makes it, it not okay. Makes it not okay. Is it like a hand butthole? Like, why is it offensive? I don't know, but we need to, before we go any further, we need to create a name for the hand butthole. The, um, the 
You got? Do you get punched for looking? I don't fucking know what to call I don't it. Know. Let's. Um, it reminds me of the BB Bush days. Let's just the. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. But. <laughs> Uh, on tonight's edition of Reaper Rambo's Crazy Thoughts, we have in studio Josh Hubbard, the man, the myth, the legend. And you're wearing a mighty gay cock ring size SWAT arm, uh, what is that, a bracelet? This is, um, yes. You're so little. Yeah. You're one of those guys that like insist that it's a bangle and not a bracelet. <laughs> I don't know what the term bangle is. That makes you less a homo. Oh, well, now that I say that. Uh, not if you're making that sign down by your waist. But listen, I before we get too much in this introduction, I need to Google what a bangle is because I feel like it's something that... I feel like it's something that a lot of guys that are in a bowling league with the state or something just get around and talk about or wear. Is that... Man, that ain't about the bowling league. Do you it's... keep your bangle in your man purse when you work? <laughs> Terminology, dude. I work a tech job. We care about our terms. A Term- bangle is a man bracelet. A man bracelet. A man well, bracelet. We also look, look a bangle studio. up. Tell me if you see one like feminine or pussy <laughs> thing on there. My buddy J-Rod is here. He's hanging with us in his right. nice bowling league shirt. Oh, it actually um, really is a nice shirt. I can't. Nobody you. messes They're, with they Jesus. They gave us this for free after the league, man. Free. It doesn't matter if you that's, came in dead last. You got a bowling shirt. easily a $27 polo. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, we probably wait, paid wait, in like $80. Back. paying $14 <laughs> a week for 10 weeks. Plucking the strings of each other's man cards. <laughs> How do you know what that polo mm. costs? It's a beer guest. Beer guest. Beer guest. Nah, those state employees, you see seven people standing around a damn hole. One person's got a shovel. <laughs> we get bored sometimes, so we got to occupy our time with like bowling leagues and stuff like that. I'm not mad at you. I've got 13 or so polos like that, just none of them have the state Alabama logo on them, which means my paycheck is smaller than yours. Uh, that's why we don't win any money. <laughs> Keep your barrel down, Rage, goddammit! <laughs> so tonight's subject matter is supposed to be mixed martial arts, but goddammit, we're probably never going to make it there. No, we're definitely going to. We have to. We have to. We have to. So. Okay, so I want to dive right into this. I've been waiting to ask you. Have you seen any of the UFC where Cormier and Stipe go head-to-head for the heavyweight belt? Have you seen it? I, I seen the replay of the finish, and then I seen the shenanigans with Brock after. Okay, that, that part was garbage, I want to say. Fuck Brock Lesnar. Really, everything that Brock Lesnar did outside of the Heath Herring fight in the UFC was garbage. I mean, I will give him credit. He hammer-fisted the shit out of Randy Couture's face for a good 15 seconds. He did hammer-fist 60-year-old Randy Couture. Yeah. <laughs> it's like beating an elderly patient with a no, walker. <laughs> let me let me, let me me explain this. Okay, Brock clearly has a better business plan than all of us sitting around this microphone right now. Because he made a lot of money to be a terrible fighter. But he has got to be probably the best athlete in the heavyweight division in there. Just, just you know, with his with his ridiculous athleticism. I, I'm not sure he's a human. I'm not completely sure. <laughs> he's, he's a Brock. <laughs> he, he is his own species completely. Um, you Love know, you, babe. That's going on the podcast. <laughs> and I... I, I, I for, he just points. He just points. You're a rock star. Woo! <laughs> That's what we do. But uh, if I'm Brock, I'm just gonna run across and take my refrigerator-sized person and tackle people. 
you know, just like he did Heath Herring and, you know... Uh, Dude, he punched Heath fights. Herring in the head into a backflip. I saw that shit live. He did. I like Heath, though. I like <laughs> Heath. I just... He's one of those guys that should have quit fighting five years earlier. No. You know? You <laughs> so, don't say. You mean to tell me heavyweights that are getting hit with hands the size of heavyweights' hands should maybe not fight as long as they do sometimes? Is that your, uh, is that your interpretation? Some guys can pull it off. And... Um, one fighting championship or um, strike force or, or any amateur Bellator. League. You know, um, in the UFC, which is rapidly, rapidly starting with the heavyweight division, turning into the WWE. Like I, I do not get excited. I do not buy pay per views anymore. It's just not a it's not a big thing for me anymore to watch I, you know, I Bellator is actually becoming a better show. It's and actually sorry. Go ahead. I don't mean to when, step over you. When that when when Bellator first uh, not when they first started, but when they first took off in the TV world and they decided to get away from the tournament style, they went back workings, with that. They went super WWE real quick. Yeah. You know, and then you know now they're they're getting to be a lot better. Um, a, a buddy of mine's fighting in Bellator. We actually got several guys from Alabama fighting uh, in Bellator, and jo- John Salter's destroying people. What about now? I've, I've I haven't met him. I don't know anything about him, and it's only because of Bateman that I see anything on my Facebook feed. Uh, War dirty, or is it is Daddy. it duty or dirty? It's definitely dirty. It's definitely now. Dirty he boy. seems like the kind of guy that's gonna be somewhere in five years. Um, he can, he can. He's got a stupid work ethic. Danny Dernovich, is that right? Dernovich, yes, and you can By the way, shout out to you, man. I've never met you. I haven't seen a single one of your fights, but you've got some mad love in the Montgomery area, bro. Dude, super, man. He's he's one of those guys that can have love everywhere because he's... If And I hate to hear that you've never been on the floor with him. Next time he comes around or you ever get a chance to be down there, definitely get on the floor with him because he's, he's a class act guy, and he's real young in the pro MMA world right now. He had a phenomenal amateur career phenomenal i want to say he was like ranked number one as far as um uh topology goes in multiple weight classes at least two different weight classes he had he had high rankings in and went pro and you know it's, it's a it's a pro career it's not like boxing where you get fed guys for a little while anybody you touch in mma can put you to sleep his or last, snatch a limb <laughs> right well i don't know about from danny because he's good you know you you have to have some kind of technique to really really manhandle someone that way but Danny's last fight looked really good, and I, I can't agree with the referee stoppage unless you're listening. The ref that was in that fight, you suck. Yeah, fuck um, that ref. I don't care. But, uh, you know, I hope that the fight didn't really hurt Danny in, in too many ways. But other than other than just Danny's skill and, and his work ethic, he's got he's got the look, he's got the personality. You know, he, he's, he, he's somebody that can be really good for the sport for sure. Um but yeah, you're gonna watch. You're gonna is get get up with Danny now when he comes back to Montgomery and go ahead and get an autograph and stuff from him now before he gets too <laughs> big to talk guy. to anybody. I'm not before, that guy. <laughs> before he gets too big to talk to people, which I don't know. I, I think I got lucky. Not to change the subject like specifically, but I got really lucky that I met some famous people early on in my life, and I got to meet people that were larger than life. And and I'm not gonna go through names and all that shit, but. I, I had a, a kind of an interesting introduction to famous people. Started out with gospel music of all things, right. like these huge national bands. My grandparents went to see them all the time. So, I'm at one point in my life, I'm helping the Kingsmen in Gold City like load in their sound equipment with their roadies and stuff. So like, when I started meeting real famous people that were in my liking, like people that I sought out, and I started meeting people like Gene Simmons and. Right. Um, a couple of members of Corn, the whole band, the Deftones, got to hang out with Stained and 
Um, I've met Fred Durst. I mean, there's just, it was my wheelhouse. I got to meet a lot of cool people, but the one thing that I noticed in the majority, I'm not going to say, sometimes they say never meet your heroes. It'll break your heart. Um, the majority of all the people are just regular people. I mean, they actually enjoyed being in the areas that I was in the backstage and the calmness because they're, I mean, as a fan, it's easy to get starstruck. It's easy to be like, holy shit. You know, I've got to get this person's autograph. This is going to be my go-to story for X amount of blah. And so when you don't have that story, um, you you may seek it. But when you've met people on a different level and you've seen them as human beings and you talk to them like I'm talking to you or you're talking to, you know, anybody normal that's not an, oh, my God, you're so-and-so, it makes them feel comfortable, too, because now they're not dealing with a fan. Right, and it's not saying the fans are bad. I've had a small taste of what fandom feels like, and honestly, I, that's what kept me from ever going nationals because right. I didn't want to live that life. I was happy. I can live here. Like ten people in this fucking state probably can identify me in a lineup, and I'm fine with that. Right, right, <laughs> absolutely, man. And um, you know, getting to um, especially <clears throat> young in the fight life when I thought that. You know, that was the only thing in the world that existed. The people that I got to be associated with rather quickly, um, you know, I think calmed calmed a lot of uh, my perception of what the superstar fighter lived like. And then now, you know, it's it's popular for us to put on TV that these guys aren't normal people. You know, we're watching Conor McGregor run around and act like a fool on TV I and think stuff. he's fucked up right now. I think, I, he's, I think he had it. He had it on the fucking head of a pin until he threw the fucking dolly through the bus window. No, when you say I think he's fucked up right now, like he might actually be really high right now. Well, I mean, but, might, <laughs> but I mean, like, oh, no, until they he's... decide what his punitive damages are going to be, like, that big fuck fight with Floyd may be all for nothing because of his yeah. dumbass antics. Like, the lawsuit alone from the bus company, from the people that got, there were a few people that got injured. You're injured, hurt, yeah. Um, I forgot what? who it was, law, like, got a, some eye damage. Yeah, um, uh, Michael Chiesa got yeah, busted up Chiesa. pretty good, right? <clears throat> yeah. That and then he comes play. back to lose. But Anthony, yeah. oh, Anthony Pettis looks so good. Anthony Pettis is, um, man, it kind of hurt my heart when he when he went on that uh, little that little tear and fell off for a second. I, Anthony Pettis is ridiculous, bro. But he is back. A lot of a lot of those original guys that hit the UFC that that come from Rufus Sports were freaking animals. Except for one. <laughs> yeah, there's one Rufus Sport guy that I I honestly I'm so fucking disappointed. CM Punk. No, I said original guys in that the UFC from there. That fight is garbage. His CM. last fight. Granted, it went three fucking rounds. Garbage. That was that would be like throwing me in the ring. Well, he did it with a garbage opponent. You know, it was a garbage opponent. And um, as much as people were talking about CM Punk's athleticism and, and this, and I don't think that he's even the, you know, the athlete that even the lower-level guys in the UFC are. And I mean by athleticism. I'm not talking about fighters. I'm not talking about technique and fighting because he doesn't have it. He's the bottom of the totem pole in the best organization in the world. He'd be the bottom of the totem pole in a lot of amateur groups in the world. I mean, it just you could take him to Birmingham, Alabama and, and let him fight a lot of guys that fight in the strike hard, and those guys are going to hurt him. You know? I honestly think I could beat CM Punk's ass at this point. After that, after that I mean, his he tried to jump to guard by way of what looked like a guillotine attempt. 
but just held on like a monkey baby. I mean, it was oh god, it was so hard. I don't so hard recommend to watch. the highest black belts in the world necessarily to jump to guard unless they have something finished. Uh, in a sport where someone's allowed to punch you in the head, in, in so, the face, <laughs> you know. When you're catching bows to the chrome dome, it's probably yeah, time it's, to reevaluate your stance. It's in not situation. good, but you know Anthony Pettis and his little brother were tearing people. Sergio. Sergio was nasty, man. Sergio was nasty. And the thing about um, lighter weight classes is you get these guys that are super, super talented, and they they have the best technique, and they have to most times because they're getting smashed in the gym always. But you find those few guys that. It's something I, you know, that I, I talk about a lot is violence of action. Guys <clears throat> that go in there and um, we're gonna have some tea getting mixed on our podcast. Hey, <laughs> you're still doing it. <laughs> We've got some guys that. Uh... <laughs> See you, Nick. So, so, Love you, my dad. <laughs> so, uh, some guys that that come into uh, the UFC that fight in, in lower weight, and I say the UFC, that come into MMA that fight in lower weight classes that use violence on top of some of the best technique in the world, and those guys go a long, long way. Um, Demetrius, you know, a lot of those guys. Was it, was it Kiesa and Pettis? I think it was, no. Yeah, it was Kiesa and Pettis. That was on that same card. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm just no, you're trying. good. I got stuck in the thought. It was Paul Felder... And I think it was Paul Felder. Was it Paul Felder and Mike Perry that just fought? Yeah, no idea. Oh, dude. I Platinum Mike's one to watch, man. He's Oh, yeah, dude. He's a scrappy dude, man. He's got I love some it. power, some serious power. Um, I, it's, it's Okay, this is the whole reason I wanted to have this conversation with you. And I wanted to bring you in for, for this. And we get just kind of rolled into it in my head so I can go into it. Sweet. So, I watched the original UFCs. Yes. I remember getting UFC 2. Somebody actually... Had, oh, this is back in the day when you had the little black box to sat on top of your TV and somebody figured out that you could pull the chip out and pull some wires. And <laughs> by the end of all this weird science experiment, uh, block channels were no longer blocked. I don't know how it worked. I'm just saying I saw a guy sat there for about three hours and figured it out. Right. And because of that effort, we watched UFC 2. Which was what, like February 95? 93 or 94, I want to say. It was it was early like yeah it was the night that I Ken think, Shamrock and, and Hoist Gracie tied up yeah I think UFC one is gonna be October ninety four so whatever's next close. I mean it was only it was illegal everywhere yeah and the UFC had a hard time even finding a venue for that show I want to say UFC two they had to change it like almost overnight and ended up in was that in Birmingham no 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 you're it's further down the line than you're thinking it was actually Dothan. And Dothan. Dothan's where it ends up. But, I mean, at right. first, it, it, so it was very barbaric. It was very... This Disclaimer, I was in art. kindergarten in 95, so... <laughs> I was 12. <laughs> so, no, 13. I was 13 in 95. Um, so, so, okay, originally you had a tournament that right. was kickboxer versus karate. It was right. Muay Thai versus wrestler. It was... that. There was a ninja at one point, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Some judo guy, some, a couple of sambo guys, shoot boxing. There right. were all these different... It was literally a mixed bag of martial arts. But by the end of the night, I mean, they were seriously unmatched. I mean, they're just terrible put-together fights. Because, you yeah, know, a boxer, a boxer with one glove. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, there were some bad fights. Let's right. just go with that. So... It, granted, the, the origin phases of when this debuted, it was I could understand John McCain's human cockfighting sentiment. 
I can understand that. Because, yes, it was grabastic. It was terrible. It was a bad idea. But it was a good idea in that it started to put something other than boxing in front of fans of fighting. I mean, obviously, the gladiator mentality has been around a fuckload longer than America has. Right. So right. we're obviously keen to enjoy seeing a combatives of some sort, like two dudes duke it out. Sometimes it's fun to watch. Right. Who am I to judge? Even better now, we have female fighters, which is cool as fuck, if, in my opinion. Although I am still on the fence about the transvestite that's now a woman that wants to fight women. I don't know how I feel about that, because whether you feel like a woman or not, you were born in a man's body, which means you have manpower. Which one are we talking about? I don't know the name. I've just heard a lot about it. But there's a, a, a kind of a there's a smaller there's a smaller branch out there somewhere that's allowing it. If they want to say it's like on one of the Indian reservations or something. And my thing is, I'm never cool seeing a dude hit a woman. Right. I don't care what you identify as, but when your hands are as wide as mine and I see you rear back and right hook a chick to the face, I'm probably still gonna get mad about it. Even if she looks at the circle below your waist? Even if. <laughs> so, it, it literally, if I see Caitlyn Jenner... I'm probably still going to have some weird feelings about it. Now right. that I don't appreciate and understand that if you're willing to go through that sort of a change outwardly to reflect how you feel innerly, that's your life and your body. Right, right. And to, to touch that real quick... Um, Real the, quick. Yeah, the, that there there is a female fighter out there, and I struggled with the thoughts on that for a little while. Um, who started the change super young in life, was like eleven or twelve, and has been on hormones. See, I don't think anti testosterone. Totally that, that young. Yeah, and so so she never really, I guess, was it not not to say little boys aren't he's, but. Never really was, and then at the same time, even if she was six, seven, four foot wide, you know, throwing super power at people, these other Throwing girls. Throwing the ring with Brock Lesnar. Right. These other girls are signing the contract, allowing this fight to happen, and they're they're okay with it. And at the small levels, with all, oh, you won't take a fight with this person. That doesn't exist when it comes to. Well, she's a dude, so and she's wearing khakis. So I mean, this, there's not a, there's not really. A whole lot of worry to it, you know, and but see, that's also where I think the discourse happens is that we don't know enough about the narrative to truly understand the whole picture, right? And as an and, and this is where I hate that we have to have these conversations in the first place, is because I could never in a moment I couldn't just I just can't. For a second fathom, what it would be like to feel like a stranger in my own skin. Alright, so there's yes. two different, like, there's a split spectrum on this. There's like, alright, so there's a physical narrative, and there is, well, not narrative, biology is it, confirmed fact. It's physical, biological buildup of a person. And there's an emotional. Like chromosomes? I'm talking about. Cell stacking? Uh, <laughs> chemical inclinations that men have in their bodies that women don't. Like testosterone, androgen, uh, women have estrogen, and other womanly hormones. Move it along, J-Rod. So, <laughs> there's a physical and a mental split. Okay. As far as a fight between two people... Drunk. 
<laughs> Shit, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a state employee here. Like, so let's. All right, seven people digging a hole. Like, this is what you get. <laughs> okay, so let's divert this. Let's divert this. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Thanks, dollars, man. That's mine. Here's the thing with professional mixed martial arts is that it's never here. going to have the level of. <laughs> Athletes, you know what? No one's gonna look at you. You look at a professional fighter and they say, "Oh, he's a fighter," but they don't look at him as a professional le- athlete on the same level as a running back or, um, you know, a, a center fielder in, in the MLB or anything like that. They're not gonna. They're not gonna compare the the, the it, people. Just don't look at it the same way. They don't look at the UFC as it's, the NFL. Where you're at, though, that's actually something that's currently being talked about. In and because the thing about it is, is that people still don't identify mixed martial arts as a sport because people relate right. sports to teams and managers and this team plays this team and this team plays this team and by the end of it you have a finals with these last two teams battling out but what i see in that same narrative is you have a ruthless sport you have an american top team you have the american kickboxer academy you have you know what is it alpha alpha male team alpha male yeah, yeah. team alpha male you well the black zillions recently ban- disbanded so i don't know who they are but you've got you know Uriah Faber's well, let me piss West. Off people often say they're ATT and they always have been american top team so, <laughs> i mean <laughs> you've got you now have the UFC performance institute which is its own thing That's so trash. What I see is the possibility that if these things start to con- you know, continue to grow, because you've got Sarah BJJ and Ray Longo is doing this stuff out in Long Island, and they're bringing in guys like Chris Weidman and right. Um, right. freaking Al Iaquinta, who just went five fucking rounds with, with Khabib. I mean, right. I mean, that was on short. That was the day's fucking notice, and he goes yep. five rounds with what's supposed to be one of the best in their in their division right now. And, and right. it shut everybody up about Ally Quinta because, I mean, he's right. been kind of hit and miss there. But, I mean... Yeah, Al will knock you retarded, though. So. Al looks like he could knock you retarded. <laughs> yeah, he will. You, you, he's got that deadpan look on his face sometimes where you're just like, I don't know, man. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> yeah. But, so, my, my point is, so you had this grab-assed clusterfuck that gave us this initial introduction. Right. Now, I had turned away at one point because I went through some religious shit and then it, then I got out of that whole situation. And, and anyway, it kind of forgot about it. Well, I joined the Army. First, you know, one of the first things I ever hear talked about again is this guy Tito Ortiz. And he's fighting Ken Shamrock. Well, I know Ken Shamrock. Right. Not only do I know him from the UFC days, I used to enjoy watching him um, during... You know, WWE shit back when it was right. killed the WWF and he was the right. most dangerous man. So you've got Ken Shamrock, who's now done the WWE thing, he's done the original UFC thing, and he's back. And the storyline that I'm given is Tito Ortiz has disrespected Frank Shamrock. Well, I know Frank Shamrock because before I knew that UFC had really made a comeback, there was guys in the barracks watching these old pride fights and shit. Right. That's how I learned about Boz Rutten and Vanderlei Silva and um Dan Severn had gone over there at one point. Mark Coleman. I mean, you yeah, got... those guys were all perfecting the pimp slap. Yeah, they were slapping the yeah. fuck. Like, and watching <laughs> yeah. old Pan Craze tapes and Boz Rutten. He was the originator of the knockout from an open hand slap. Do you realize that? Yes. And that shit was brutal. I remember watching him. I want to say... I don't think it was Sakuraba, but it was somebody like that. He just slapped the shit out of this guy and starched him. 
Yeah, watching Boz fight, I just want to scream out Roadhouse every time he throws a shot. <laughs> like, every, he throws a game, Roadhouse, <laughs> just every time. Hey, you. <laughs> but, you know, so Boz, and then I start hearing some Boz commentary, and, you know, the way he talks, and he's, he's cool as fuck. Like, oh, yeah. you could tell, if you get locked in the elevator with this guy, and you're six hours, you're going to have six hours of the best conversation of your life. Or he's going to kill you. I mean, I'm not, I don't ever worry about that. Or the shank. I don't ever worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I never think like that. It's so terrible. Like, I should. And that's probably part of the reason that, that I'm, I have survived because I don't have that stupid inclination to be like, you know, I could die right now. I should probably not do this. But then I get into my 30s and suddenly I'm driving slower. I don't ride with a firearm anymore. <laughs> I start thinking about things a little more. Oh, start man. planning financials a little better. <laughs> That's the shit that scares me. Debt yeah, collectors. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> ah, right. My phone rang. I don't know the number. Right. <laughs> Who do I owe money to? <laughs> but, so, I, I give it another try. Let's see what this is. And I gotta be honest. Up until this year, I fucking hated Tito Ortiz. Yeah. My dream in life was to get into a ring... And fight that motherfucker to the death. <laughs> I didn't give a shit who who won. I honestly didn't. You should, because you would die. If you I fought probably to the death. would have. But <laughs> if, if you fought moment, to the death, I, I mean, was I was pretty cockstrong back then, and in my stupid brain, I could have taken him. I mean, uh, yeah. I was pretty dumb. But I mean, I wasn't gonna fight on his terms. I was gonna be fish hooking and eye gouging and <laughs> nut punching. I mean, right, right. I mean, I'm not fighting you with rules, you dumbass. Like it's uh, to the death, motherfucker. Tito Ortiz is a physical specimen, not very good of a fighter. But <laughs> well, yeah. So then I catch him on a podcast and he breaks it down. Oh he, yeah. He basically created a character. He did. He was the first WWE style guy. He was the first bad boy. Right. And he was he, a and villain. Huntington Beach bad boy. He and was he, a villain. But a he, lot of people liked to watch him. They watched him to watch him lose. And and really in the early UFC when he first got in, it didn't happen. No, he Nobody, just fucking fucked people up. Dude, he was so huge. Nobody knew how to cut like he did because no one had wrestled on the level like he did. No one knew how to translate that to MMA. He was the originator of ground and pound and how to work wrestling into MMA. He was the one that proved that wrestling would... You have to have some form You've of got wrestling. To have a game. You've got to have it. He <clears> proved <throat> it, you know... We can say so Chuck Liddell beat his face in. Chuck Liddell was a Division One wrestler. He was my hero. Chuck Liddell knew wrestling. I mean, that's why he was so good against wrestlers. Maybe he didn't wrestle them, but he knew wrestling just as well as everybody else. And so, in Kempo, that was his thing. Like, kinda. He a reform. He, they called it Kempo, that, but they 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 trained it to slobber knock people. So. He had an odd stance, and his arms were always low, so you never knew where those punches were coming from. Right, and I'm glad you say that because you know a lot of people are like, all all he had was an overhand that knocked people out. He sparred so much in that Kempo studio that he knew exactly what he can uncock that thing. I've and seen knock that motherfucker. Out. I mean, high roundhouses and everything. I mean, oh, he don't yeah. give a shit. He was oh, gonna yeah. put you on the mat. And like Vito, Vito Belfort. Yeah. He was another one of those guys that had explosive power. Now, granted, TRT Vitor Belfort was impressive. I watched a fight of his recently when he was off all the sauce and he was looking less like Ric Flair. Less than impressive, yeah. Yeah, very yeah. less than impressive. Uh, Slow and uh, <laughs> he had excess skin that just did its own thing. And it was it was like watching an elderly man fight, which I felt bad for him because he, he's, he, he's up there. He was an elderly man. But now like he's that. back in Bellator and he's all juiced to the gills again. So right, now he looks right. like... Uh, well, we're only using him on cards in Brazil now. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, when you've got to like let yourself get bit on the testicles by like moray eels twice a day until you're, ju- you know, I don't know how it works. I'm just speculating either. here. I don't either. But uh, yeah, so you had, so I got back into it when you had that that time. It was, you know, the beginnings of BJ Penn and Matt Sarah and the Ultimate Fire also got me back because it was like oh, that yes. fucking brawl between Stefan Bonner and Forrest Griffin at the end of the first finale. Yes, dude. Three rounds of holy shit. Yes, and if you watched early BJ Penn and and, and Matt those Hughes. guys, you couldn't. There was no way you couldn't be a fan then. But then to see one guys. of them like GSP comes back, takes on Michael Bisbing, nobody wow. gives him a chance. He's four years out of the ring. It's ring rust. This and he he handled him. That's like a, a boss, stylistic nightmare though. Yeah, I would hate to fight George St. Pierre. He's like a. That. He fights like a... Uh, a jouster? Yeah. Have you ever noticed the way he, he lunges? The, Karate, the, man. But I'm saying that same... It's like watching a French swordsman in like a Monty Python movie. You know, George St. Pierre <laughs> was probably the best wrestler in in that division. Probably to this day. was probably had, probably had the best and highest takedown ratio to this day in the welterweight division of all time. To never wrestle a day. Well, he you worked know, with... The, there Olympic, was... the Olympic team in Canada, but he he, he and this is this is something that he said before. He's credited his ability to move in and out and to be able to grab those takedowns the way he does back to his karate background. Um, and a lot of people aren't aren't we're not fans of traditional karate. I'm not a fan of traditional karate. I, I love the fact that there are people that carry those traditions on. I love the fact that it's deep rooted. Um, but if you're gonna be a a competitor in high level MMA, you've got to have something other than that style. But you take a guy like George St. Pierre and look at it and be like, well, I was really good at moving in and out and tagging kids and getting points when I was a little boy. You know, I was really good at sliding in, picking my lead leg up and hitting you in the head and getting out of there before you hit me back. Okay, cool. Well, instead of picking my leg up, let me slide in here and drop a double on you and see how well that works. Oh, best in the UFC. So, <laughs> you know... Yeah, but those guys were the best. You know, George St. Pierre doesn't fight that way anymore. He did, he's not as tenacious as he was when he was younger, which, I'm, I mean, you can credit at the age, I guess, or the fact that he just knows how to win. And he doesn't care about the showmanship anymore. He's going in there to win and get a paycheck. That was initially so, what started to kill off the Anderson Silva craze for me. Yes. Because after a while, it, it just, it looked like he couldn't give a fuck. But then I go watch the documentary Like Water, and I'm back to that same thing with Tito. I watched the Like Water, and I now see Anderson Silva as a human being. Yes. He's not doing this for the fans. He's not doing this for the paycheck, other than it's supporting him financially. He's saving his own ass because he's got a wife and kids at home that he wants to come home to. And when it right. made him a human being, then I'm like, fuck. Like, now no, I can't man. hate the guy. Man, Anderson has an academy. He actually, well, he calls it a college. And he has... People from every walk of life come through his school, including his kids. Who he, you know, he, I don't, I don't think he's even remotely trying to get them to be fighters, but to defend themselves. Um, but we have branches of it here. Amer- hey, American Killer Bees, Anthony Mitchell, you guys, shout out, <laughs> y'all are huge. Um, over here, just in Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi, um, you're just a couple hours down the road. You have guys. Four, in fact, I was going to drive it last weekend. Four. You have guys <laughs> over there that that have trained with Anderson on a regular. Um, uh, Anthony was actually in Anderson's documentary at some point. I, I'm not sure exactly what the role was. I haven't seen the whole thing, but um, you know, and those guys promote local MMA. They run local gyms. They teach kids all the way to you know professional athletes. 
Um, but you're you're absolutely right. You know, Anderson Anderson is one of those great guys to look at and and get the 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 human the human um, characteristics for. You know, oh, well, he's not just this super cocky fighter. He's he just walking in a room, and break arms. He comes in and has conversations with people. He does break his leg. Yeah, he does. Well, he he, yes. he numbchucked his leg. He he did. Oh my <laughs> it looked god! Looked like a dude. battle weapon. It was bad. I feel so bad for him. Oh but man! To get to that point was to say, Brendan Schaub has. Uh, it used to be called the Big Brown Breakdown, but I guess there was some issues with it being called Big Brown, so we changed it to Below the Belt. It's a podcast that can be found on iTunes and Google Podcasts, but he, I see Tito Ortiz on there as a guest, and I'm like, you know what? I got to hear what this asshole has to say. Like, it's just, it's all this years of brooding, and he laid it out, man. He has kids. You know, his first marriage had kind of ended. He's been married to Jenna Jameson now for X amount of years. And he's got these rules with his kids about the things that they have to achieve before they can do the things that they want to do. Like, he expects both of his sons to get master's degrees before they fall back on a fighting career. So, if nothing else, they've got something to fall back right. on, you know, if the fighting thing doesn't work out. He owns his own clothing line. He has all this other stuff. that, that And it's just, to hear him talk about it, in, in a candid way and to explain he did the one thing he he did what WWE couldn't do he faked it and then sold it really well and I believed it because I, I hated the guy I was convinced he was this piece yes. of shit asshole but he was just playing that character yes Tito okay so let's rewind a little bit and we go back to the first UFC and the first couple of them like that in a nutshell put it all together what it was was this cat said, hey, I know these Gracie guys. They look kind of goofy. They sound even goofier, but they will choke you till you die. All right? So I'm going to take one of them, and I'm going to have him fight a bunch of other guys, and we're going to make a lot of money off of this, and it's probably never going to work again but once, but we're going to put on the circus at least once and see how it goes. Okay, and it worked. And the Gracie family did a great thing. They said, hey, look, nobody else knows what's coming. We're going to take the littlest guy we got, and he's oh, going to yeah. work. So he, Instead of sending him, though, right, you know, in Hoist. <laughs> right, right. And Hoist goes in there, and he does exactly what he's supposed to do. And, and you know, he, he uses violence. He wins these fights. Um, well, let's fast forward again a couple years later. So these people took and created an organization specifically for the Gracie family to go in there and showcase what they can do and make, make a profit on it. Um, not necessarily so the Gracies can make a profit on it, but this one promoter really wanted it that way, and the Gracies were out there saying, hey... You know, we got this, let's use each other in this, and let's showcase what we got. And, and it worked out. It worked out great for everybody because it, it brought the greatest, one of the greatest loves of my life as far as sports goes into America on a much larger scale than what it already was. Um, so I, I've got to credit um, all, my, all my success in the martial arts world and keeping me alive every day uh, to, to the Gracie family. Um, but Tito, a couple years down the road, starts learning how to manage himself, which turns into him managing other fighters. There was so much backstage contract negotiation that nobody else in the world could have pulled off. Tito made more money than any fighter in that generation should have. He, he was made the first money. to make a million. He, was, he, was, he made more money than he should have made from, from well, his Well, you know his original back. manager was Dana White. Right, right. Well, and Dana was managing boxers, you know, and, um, you know, Tito's now managing some fighters, and he's... Tito is actually doing the best back idea, but... in the fucking ring again. Yes, he's fixing a fight. He's fixing a fight for isn't he? Liddell. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, I'm sorry. I'm they, sorry. Okay, <laughs> this doesn't need a trilogy, in my opinion. 
I understand the trilogy you when got you got to win one, up. lost one. No, you got beat up. You got your ass handed to you twice. Two times. Yeah, he wow. just wants, I guess he wants vindication from an alcoholic Chuck Liddell. One of my favorite combos in the world is when Chuck said, all right, here we go. Two, three, six, three, two, three. And Tito fell holding his head, his giant, giant head. <laughs> and they come in there and stop the fight. Okay. <laughs> Chuck Liddell's entire fight diet and workout routine was, all right, run to the bathroom because I drank a lot of beer and ate nothing but hot sauce. Okay. Like, once he started making money, that was kind of his deal. And I love the guy to death. He, he He's current. I say he is currently. He's been currently employed with the UFC. He's been he's been employed with the UFC forever. He's never left. You know, he left fighting, but they always salute him that paycheck. Um, what they call him, like, some sort of fighter relations agent or something for a while. I guess his job was to say, hey, guys, no cocaine and strippers the week of the fight. Dick. <laughs> He like, forgot to tell one person. He forgot, you right. one person. He did. He had he one went, job to do. It was so bad. And John Jones. Now that just, poor lady looks at her arm scar all the time and just can't get over it. So, you know, but, uh, but yeah, no, Tito, Tito was revolutionary. He was a genius at the time. I think, I think the times are outrunning him right now as far as the manager goes, but you're absolutely right. He, um, he built this, this persona. And built this halo around himself, and made made his character untouchable. And if you wanted money, if you wanted to make money in the sport, you had to use him. And he got paid way more than what he was worth as a fighter, just because of how he was able to build himself up. Don't get me wrong, Tito hurt a lot of people. Really, he did good. Uh, the Tito, I think, the Tito of his prime though would not hang with anyone. Okay, really, in the two hundred five so division, right? We're now. in the Tito conversation. Dream matchup. In their primes, Tito versus who, and who wins? <laughs> is this is this a who do you want to see beat Tito up or just be whatever you want it to be? I don't give a shit. <laughs> oh man! And don't say Tito and Brock. That's lame. <laughs> no, Hulk no, smashed. no. I'm gonna try to keep it in that in that 205 class there. Um, man, you know what? You know what would have been cool though. Is weight classes aside is is prime Anderson prime Tito, and you still get that that opposite end. You get that you get that real good tie boxer versus that that different level ground and pound jiu-jitsu guy, because or, or or a wrestling guy. You, you look at you know the way that um, Chel Sonnen his fight with Anderson went. If only you know, and what what would have prime Tito did if he had that blueprint. Well, the only issue I ever had with that fight was I thought for four rounds, Chael Sonnen was doing the, un- the unthinkable. But when you- I've gone back and watched that fight several times, Anderson took a calculated beating waiting for his opportunity. You know, I was wondering the same thing. Like, is Anderson playing? It really like, looked like, just... at first, I thought, Jesus Christ. He's just chilling. Chael Sonnen is picking apart one of the greatest fighters of my generation. And then it, it just nope. He still lost. <laughs> well, I tell you, I tell you, I, and I've told people this a million times. And just now, just now, this is something that just smacked me in the face. As we're sitting here, it was not my cock. I, it was not my cock. I've started to say, hey, I've started to separate myself from from the MMA world. Is I say that Chelsea laid the blueprint on how to beat Anderson Silva. I look at um, dang it, who was. Who's a guy out of Fort Worth, Texas? Oh, oh man, no, no. Um, Matt stand Hughes? by, no, no. Matt Hughes is uh, now further north than that. Um, 
That's right. He's, from, he's an Oklahoma boy, isn't he? Yes. There's a jiu-jitsu black belt in Fort Worth, Texas. And stand by one second. I'll come up with his name. But when I say it, everyone that's listening to this that's a fight fan that knows this fight, they're going to be like, oh, well, duh. Um, I just don't know where people are from, unfortunately. There's a lot of knowledge trapped in this big fuck head of mine, but I can't honestly access it when I want to. <laughs> Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go shirt dog, and we're going to look at the record, and I'm going to tell you who it is this way. Um, well, while you're looking that up, one of my dream matchups would be... Now, this could be either an epic fight or one of the most boring fights ever. I'm not sure which. Prime Daniel Cormier, prime Randy Couture. That would be great. It could That'd be a be nightmare great. fight, but it could be amazing. You know, let's go back to what we were talking about earlier. The difference is, is that Randy fought with violence. Where I think if Daniel would turn it up and just be meaner, he'd be a lot more devastating. Well, know? I think but he yeah. got the message in that Stipe fight. Oh, yeah. yeah. Is that, the, he the had to thing, be mean, and it worked. So The thing that's always going to haunt Daniel Cormier, and from what I understand, there's a small blueprint being laid in front of him. This guy can write his own check right now. Right. And, and so... From what I hear and from what I understand, there is a huge possibility he's fighting Brock Lesnar in January. Right. Possibly a little after that. But he's talking about March of next year. He's done. He's out of the business. He's not fighting anymore. He's 40 years old. He wants to be done. That's Supposedly, that's what's in the works. Right. Now he's holding two belts. So, of course, the conversation is, well, who do you fight? Do you step down and fight a light heavyweight guy? Do you give up the belt and let them figure that shit out? But there's another problem is that Cain Velasquez is coming back. And him and Cain are like brothers. I mean, they're best fucking friends, man. He That's the whole that, reason he never went to heavyweight. The start, yeah. Because he, he would not Well, he was already Cain. a heavyweight. They're just in different organizations. Right. But I'm saying, yeah, UFC-wise, yeah. he would not fight in the same division as his best friend. I'm okay with that. I'm totally okay with that. Um, no, um, here's the thing. Kane, Kane's going to step in, and he's going to absolutely destroy whoever they give to him first, and the UFC's going to try to turn a soap opera out of this. They're talking Kane Stipe is the, the comeback fight for Kane. That'd be great. I don't know if he would destroy Stipe unless he hit him with something and knocked him out, but I mean, that Daniel would Cormier be... Cormier did it with Daniel, a right hook. <laughs> Daniel Cormier knocked him out. I don't know. I can't say Daniel Cormier destroyed him. Daniel Cormier put him to sleep, um, but... I don't, I don't think that's a bad fight. That that's a good fight for that. But I'm telling you, telling you, if Daniel still has that belt when that happens, they're going to turn it into an absolute soap opera. Now he's already said if it came down to him and Kane, he'd he would walk away the title. Him. Yeah, he wouldn't. Walk he right wouldn't away from it. But because the, okay, he has an untainted title. He has a heavyweight championship. There's no John Jones. There's no bullshit. It's right. 100% legit one. He's right. got a light heavyweight title that not once but twice has been put back around his waist because of John Jones. Right. So, and l- listen, you can hate me if you want for this, but those when that belt comes off of John Jones and goes on somebody else, we can talk all we want. If no one actually took it from him, yes, he yes, took it they from did. Himself. Yes, they did. It's it's a win because John jo- John Jones has the opportunity to be the best fighter in the world. I guess we don't know how many fights he's ever had that he wasn't doped up on, you know. But he's had the opportunity to be the greatest fighter. But there's ever. that little asterisk. But he all he chose he chose to do those things, you know. I, and listen, I t- I work in a job where I can see people come off of the worst drugs and 
ruin their lives and come out and, and be okay. Walk around and try to teach people how to do things better. This guy has every resource in front of him and just chose not to do anything about it. Well, part of that thing is youth, it. too, is that ignorance is bliss, that, you know, I'm untouchable, I'm unstoppable, I'm it's unkillable. Partially the UFC's fault. I don't disagree with that. They babied no. him. They babied him. The downside, though, is that... So look how they treat Nate Diaz and Nick Diaz. I mean, and those guys live in a state where weed's legal. They openly admit to smoking weed. They have openly admitted to not planning to stop smoking weed. And they get run over for it. Run over for it. But that also boils down to the fact that those are two people Dana White cannot control. There's nobody going to control a Diaz brother. It's not going to happen. Those dudes are stocked and strong, and they are going to always be who the fuck they are. They are not going to be changed. or They're just who the fuck they are. True. True. Um... And I respect the fuck out of that. But they don't try to control the Conor McGregor's. They don't try to control oh, they John are now. Jones. They, well, they have to now. They have to now because it's, I mean, those guys that got hurt on that bus, you know, you, even Michael Chiesa, we can talk about Michael Chiesa losing fights. Michael Chiesa is still a ticket seller. Michael Chiesa is still someone that at any fight can turn himself around and put himself right back up into contention, you know. You hurt him. The bearded mullet. Because you wanted to be stupid. And they allowed that. They allowed Connor to grow into that monster. You well, know? the thing was, though, is that this, and I've gone back and watched old tape of stuff that he did prior to the UFC. He was already that guy. You weren't, yes. you weren't stopping that train. That train was coming. It was just a matter of which station it was going to land in first. And mm-hmm. on the one hand, yeah, you're absolutely right. There, There is, there is a need to reel it in. But... Say you guys had an all-star rookie that comes on the police force, okay? But he's doing it by the book, but he's finding shit. He, I mean, granted, he might ruffle some feathers and he might stir the pot, but he starts bringing in drug dealers, starts catching DUIs, starts handling some domestic violences in a way that maybe it doesn't happen again. I'm just saying. Right. You know, but he's, he's on his game. He's getting the paperwork right. He's showing up on the news and talking people off a fucking cliff. Right. It's hard not to stand behind that guy, especially if the light being shown upon you is a bright light and it's good light. Right. But when that asshole squeezes that trigger on an unarmed civilian, and now you've got an issue where you're supposed to bail this guy out. Now you're stuck in a situation. You've got all this support when it's light outside and it's bright and sunshiny and the spotlight's good. Where do you go when the spotlight's bad? And it's like, yeah, we kind of do create that element sometime when we don't stop a bad behavior before it's gotten out of control. When you, you don't have the opportunity to silence that idiot before he says that dumb thing that ruins his whole career, that Twitter message, that fucking Instagram post, whatever, the, that TMZ video that's now out there. When you don't have the person to go, shut the fuck up and right. stop. Right. Then you end up with a no-turn-back moment. So now you've got John Jones, who's never going to have a pristine career, no matter what, this point forward. He'll never have it. At best, right. he goes to Bellator and shines. Right. Maybe he comes back to the UFC, but even if he is undefeated after he's back, you're never really getting that respect. Back. He's not yet. Because, I mean, he may be the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the whole wide world. He might be. Well, Demetrius Johnson is, but that's all another Not thing. anymore. Daniel Cormier, official this week, has been moved to the number one PFP. It's a heavyweight thing, man. It's just a heavyweight thing. And I get it. It's the new shiny star. It's the new 
dual belt holder and at least somebody that might defend one of them. Because where's Connor been? Connor's still not a single fucking fight in how long? A long time. He's held up two belts because he's not here to defend it. Because that Floyd Money Mayweather, which don't get me wrong, I understand the money. You went ten rounds with the baddest boxer on the fucking planet. Yeah. Beat up, but they, you know, it's you're you're a fighter and you 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 played a game of tag, but you know for money, for money, right? And man, it's I'm okay with him and the way he talks, the way he did things. I'm not okay with the way that he would ruin press conferences. Or he's okay for him to be late, but not other fighters. You know, there's there's a lot of things that I didn't really like about it. And let me tell you, I I I, I still have a, a part of me that's a Conor McGregor fan. Mainly because he handles his business. I mean, the guy that comes Jose in there and fights. Fight, man. He punches you hard and tries to hurt you and doesn't care. And he's not scared. And he does what he's supposed to do. So, let's rewind to why I hated him, though, when he first came into the UFC. You ready for this story? Oh, yeah. Okay, so first fight in the UFC. He's already talking about he's going to come in the UFC. He's going to wreck it. And I'm like, all right, come on, the guy. Chill. Chill. You ain't even got a, you ain't even got a contract yet to, to for a specific date. You know, just calm down, guy. Calm down. Okay, so then it, comes the out. <laughs> then it comes out, and it's like, all right, I got a fight, I got a date. Well, who's he fighting first? His first fight in the UFC is Marcus Brimage. Um, Marcus Brimage is an hour and a half away from here training at Spartan Fitness in Hoover. Uh, Marcus is from Alabama. So, Hold that thought. I'm it. sorry. No, I got it. All right, so Marcus is from Alabama and um, he's training with American Top Team and back up at Hoover uh, at Spartan Fitness in Hoover and um, he's the second guy to go into the UFC from Alabama but he's he's you know, really the first guy to win and and do what he's got to do and he's making a bunch of people proud we all love Marcus Marcus is great he's an Air Force veteran by Marcus... the way Brimage okay Marcus Brimage um, that's Connor's first fight in UFC so everyone's getting all hyped up over this, and I remember I'm sitting in. Where were we? We're at I don't Just know, Manlaw's house Wild. or something, okay. Not and, Buffalo Wild and everyone is all loud, <laughs> and they're all doing their own thing, and I'm like, "Hey, I'm trying to watch this fight." And uh, him and Mark's been back and forth, back and forth. Marcus is like, "Man, this is my third fight in the UFC. All they've done is give me, you know, he he fought like Maximo Blanco and stuff. Just right off the bat, they started throwing guys at him that they were looking for title title contention, and then he's like." And now I get this guy that's never fought in the UFC before, and he's coming in here talking crap like he already owns a division. And um, a little ways into the fight, when he hits Marcus with something that came from right around Hell Area, <laughs> I was like, well, maybe he does own this division. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, Dude, that pop to Jose Aldo, dude, or Jose Aldo, I guess is how they pronounce it. I don't know. One of the ways is right. Whichever he wants this week, I mean. Dude, wow. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, he... Um, no one's ever done that to him, but uh, he came in there and, and tried to, you know, through this. And it was the thing about it was it was still a tight shot. It's not like a big looping hook, Mm-mm. you know. It, 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 of course, it had you know air in it, but it wasn't like a ridiculous, you know, crazy redneck shot. He just left just enough space, and uh, Connor hit him right on the button and knocked him stupid. And uh, it sucks because I really want to see them mix up and go, but it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't meant. To, it wasn't in the cards. It wasn't meant to be. Something in the universe didn't line up, and you know, Aldo needed to take a nap, and Connor delivered it to him. So, 
Oh, dude, I will say, like, the, going into Demetrius Johnson, though, that, that jump to an armbar was epic in his last fight. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. De- it was so pretty. Demetrius is a, um, he's a tactician. He's a violent tactician. And, uh, cause, I mean, he was good at 135. Like, a lot of people forget that he was, he was a contender at 135. You know, and, and weight classes... And I'll argue this with people all the time. I'll argue it and argue it and argue it. And it's always with big guys because they're stupid. Sorry. No, I understand. But uh, it's, you know, um, size isn't everything. Size doesn't matter. Size, it's because, you you know, or, uh, I love this one. I love this one. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight. The dog. It's great until you fight a big dude. You know? Well, I mean. And, and when you're fighting a big dude that has that has to. Oh. Uh, yeah, well, oh, look at Frank Mir in a soft belly. He's a black belt, right? He's gonna hurt you. It doesn't matter, you know. Yeah, catch a thigh strike from Frank Mir. Right, <laughs> right. You know, and and so yeah, that that's why when you look at these little guys and stuff, that weight classes are broke up into ten pound increments. Versus when you start getting a little size on you, they start getting a little wider. Um, and and you know, Tito really exploited size differences at 205 pounds. Well, they never... The the misconception is they're fighting at this weight. That's bullshit. They weigh in at that weight. Right. But once that weigh-in is complete, and now they've got time to go back and rehydrate and get... I mean, they're putting on sometimes 10, 15, 20 pounds. Oh, easily. So he might be fighting at 225, 230 Easily, and now with these early weigh-ins, you know, you get these guys that are real scientific, they're a lot bigger than that. And, um... Uh, no one did that when Tito Ortiz did it. Matter of fact, there wasn't a 205-pound weight class when Tito Ortiz was doing it. It was created for Tito, if I understand correctly. Tito was the first light heavyweight here to compete, and um, he really he really owned it, and he fought guys um, you know, that were a good bit smaller than he was, and he fought them in the world where he big-boyed them. Yeah. He, he straight took their lunch money and didn't care about it. And... Um, we see that you know you like you start getting back into guys that that knew how to do that or were learning how to do that and T Ortiz kind of fell off a little bit as far as the fighting goes because he wasn't able to do that to anybody. Um, well, he also started having the inevitable issues of being a wrestler and being a fighter. Right, everything having neck issues and back issues. Oh, I mean, just the overall wear on everything. Because I mean, know, if, and if then you your watch, chin starts getting weak because you can you can only dehydrate yeah. your body before it starts pulling crap off your brain. Well, not only that, um, but you've also got. You know, the the sport has truly evolved into a positive. I mean, now there's a lot less one-sided fights. There's a lot less. I mean, not saying that there are. I mean, you take a guy like Damian Maya, who is an absolute specialist of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and you take a guy like Stephen Thompson, who's a, a a striking aficionado, like his stance and everything, and the way that he brings right. his karate background. I mean, you do have guys that have more specialized training, but that well-rounded guy, that, that guy that truly put the time in. And, you know, right. you've got guys that now that are showing up to the fight, like a Sage Northcutt. I mean, you right. got, you know, Mickey Gall, people like that, that are now the newest generation that are coming up. And these guys, when their prime hits, you put them against people of, of the primes before, and I say they win. Because, oh yes, easily. You know, Tito, especially, especially Mickey. Tito couldn't beat a Daniel Cormier, I don't think. Mm-mm. I think that he would probably make it to about the third round, but I think Cormier wins seven out of ten times. Yes. And I mean, you, you 
you know, when you had, and I remember watching the, the explosive, you know, heavyweight fights when Tim Sylvia was, you know, doing his thing. Right. And he gets his arm snapped by, was it? Frank it was Mayer. It was it, no, it was Minotaur, Minotaur Nagara, wasn't it? Yeah. Or was it Frank Mayer? Both, maybe. I remember um, that arm just. Oh, right. The forearm? Yeah, that was Frank. Yeah. That was Frank. Heard Dean said, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, that was Frank. And that tough bastard wanted to keep fighting. I wanted mean, to keep fighting. So, when you see... That's a great example elements, of a violent fighter. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And I miss... Oh, my God. I think one of the most exciting slugfest smaller guys was that Diego Sanchez and Clay Guida fight where they oh just gosh. sitting there just yeah. beating each other's faces in for three fucking rounds. That was crazy. Right. And neither one of them could win. <laughs> or then yeah. you get a Chet Congo and Pat Berry situation where Pat Berry almost knocks Chet Congo out like two or three times and then Chet Congo starches Pat Berry with one right. good smack. That was Pat Berry's career, though. That was it. I now mean, he's was... married to Rose Namajunas, so... Yeah, that, that that was every fight. and Like, either he either put on some, some super crazy show kicking you in the leg or he got knocked out. I mean, that's just... I will give him credit, though. He's usually the smaller guy, and he brought the fight. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But size over technique, I give it to technique. But raw strength, I give it to raw strength every time. Right. Well, I mean, you're not even running into those. Those aren't even areas to even be discussed anymore because you've got that guy that was some sort of collegiate athlete. So he, he's got some, some strength that's that's just unbelievable. You know, ridiculous athleticism. Um, we're talking about guys that are five five that are dunking basketballs, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, it, it, and then they got this technique on top of it, you know. Uh, the little guy should always beat the bigger guy if he knows jujitsu. There's no, that's not true. You take a hundred and sixty pound jujitsu black belt, and you grab a hold of, you know, an NFL level athlete that's. 250 pounds giving purple belt level jiu-jitsu and you're you've got a black belt that's fixing to have some trouble that's fixing to have some trouble and, and don't get me wrong <laughs> right don't get me wrong you've got some guys that i mean your marcellos and stuff like that that are little people that can handle everyone but they're special those are special people that's not your typical jiu-jitsu guy that's not you know um your your everyday jiu-jitsu black belt that you walk in and meet that's not how that works See, I feel like in competition, I would be a dirty fighter. Like, if I, if I went to a legit Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu tournament, say I, I took the time to really earn the, I, I would say earn the white belt. Because at this point, I don't just want my hand to me. I, I, just, I don't even want to earn that one. Right, <laughs> can, right. Can I have my belt now? But, you know, I, I'm told, I'm showing Nick this because, you know, Nick loves Jiu-Jitsu. In fact, we're back into the conversation of him starting to go back to training now. I think he's had enough time to drive. And now I think he's, he's starting to get ready to transition into taking himself to training. But when him and I roll, I do dirty shit. Like I'll turn right. my chin into his ribs or I'll force my elbow into the, the, you know, the meat of his inner thigh to break guard. I mean, I'm an asshole because that's how I learned it. You know, we didn't learn it on a scale of even playing field. I learned it on a scale of you're going to do this. Right. And you're going to impose your will on the person you're doing this to. And you're going to make this as uncomfortable as humanly possible to get your way. Right. So, like, fighting out to an arm bar, I know how to do it. But I see that same opportunity as, you know, for an arm triangle, you know, or whatever. I get, We used to call it a cross-collar choke. But right. Then, you know, so you come in and, and I could squeeze the shit out of my bicep and choke you out without even really doing much. 
Right. Or, you know, I could pull back into, you know, a, a laying into a heel hook or something like that. Like, I liked knowing that I could cause as much damage as possible in the least amount of effort. Right. Right. And, and you know, violence of action. Violence of action versus training for, for tournament. Um, as far as jiu-jitsu goes and how it's... It, to be honest, and my jiu-jitsu people listening to this, some of you guys are going to be upset. Some of you are going to understand exactly what I'm talking about. But um, we're taking violence of action away um, to this gentle art. Okay, and we're, we're saying, all right, kids, you're not allowed to heel hook. You're not allowed to reap the knee. Um, you're not allowed... Uh, we're not going to allow cross-facing in this particular tournament, in this location, this day. Um, we've even went to tournaments where we were told choking was not allowed. Um, no, no kidding. Go to Michael's. I could even have sex if that was. Dude, the rule. go to Michael's Facebook page. We have a white belt, or he might have just got his blue belt. I can't remember. One of the guys from our school, who really wasn't a, a, a competitive kind of guy, but decided to go to this competition, and uh, the school that was putting it on, uh, he lapel choked one of them from the guard, and they came over there. Guard bomb. I believe it was. It's been years ago. I'll have to watch it. Um, but anywho, they were like, no, you can't. You can't choke. And let me tell you, though, the school that held the tournament, on the outside of their building, it says the words karate. Inside the A on karate, they have the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu logo. And inside the building, they teach Taekwondo, which are two completely separate countries of origin between karate and Taekwondo. Um, ideology is quite different too. And then also increase the gap by adding Brazil. It, well, they, <laughs> they teach Gracie combatives in there. They have a blue belt instructor that did the online thing or whatever. And, Email them. Um, yeah, it was dirty. It was dirty, but I went over there and I tried just to, just to mingle with them and they didn't, they didn't want anything to do with it. But anywho, they held a tournament and I'm hoping that none of our guys go back to it, but if they do power to them, hope they win. I wish they will. But you know, it, what happens is when you start adding these crazy rules and you start trying to, to train in a safe environment, training in a safe environment is one thing. You know, I want everybody to come in the gym, be comfortable and train, because here's the deal. If you train at, you know, a super mild level versus a super saucy level, you know, way up there high, whatever it is, as long as you're doing something other than sitting on the couch, you're going to be a little bit safer walking through that parking lot. That's how I feel about it. But... We're taking our kids now and we're telling them that we're not going to train certain positions because it's illegal in tournament. Well, that turns of we're not going to teach you how to do this correctly and then say, all right, well, we're training for tournament for the next month, so we're going to cut this out and we'll bring it back later. We're just not doing it. You got, you know, I, I, I've run into Jiu-Jitsu Purple Belts locally, locally that have never trained or drilled any traditional self-defense positions, they can they they can escape, and they can block hips, they can drive, they can do whatever they got to do to to avoid positions in jujitsu. But if you just walk up behind them and throw an arm around the head, they start panicking real quick, like. And, you know, I'm friendly with a lot of local schools, a lot of schools in the area, and I'm telling you, there's some really great places for jujitsu in Alabama now. Where when I started, there was only like two black belts in the state, three. I remember um, hearing people try to say they were part of the Pat Militage system, and I'm like, there's no fucking way yeah, any I mean, of that's uh, true. That's not even, I mean, that's not even a thing here. But we had three, like, real solid black belts in the state, and it was just really hard to get, you know, 
higher up guys to train with. But when we opened up and and started teaching kids, you know, that was one thing that we really started working on. And, and adult white belts and all was the same. It was a big part of the curriculum was basic self-defense. And um, there are guys now that have rank that, that never do it, that just never, ever do any of that stuff. And it's like Taekwondo. Let's talk about, you know, um, is it you get these guys now that are going into uh, certain kickboxing organizations and they're using Taekwondo techniques and they're doing really well. You got guys like Anthony Pettis, you know, Taekwondo black belt that's going in there. Stylistically, it, it doesn't look like Taekwondo. If you break it down, you get like a real good Taekwondo expert to watch with you. You're like, yes, this this is the difference between the hips being open before the kick is thrown versus the hips opening up as the kick is thrown. That's why we're able to hide the technique better versus a Thai boxer who just crashes in in there. Not saying one's better than the other, but this is the differences in it. You'll be able to see them there if someone breaks it down and points it out to you. But if he's not in the gym every day doing kata and doing patterns and throwing punches at air and screaming, Kia! Is it, is it Taekwondo anymore at this point? Well, I mean, and me, me and Michael had this talk because I my view on it was slightly different as far as the Taekwondo aspect goes. And he's like, no, it's not. I can't say you're a high-level Taekwondo practitioner if you don't know Taekwondo. You know how to fight like it, but you don't know, you don't know our our original traditions and stuff like that. Then it's not it's not the same. And I was like, you know, I I can dig that. I'm with it. So um, these people that say like no gi isn't jujitsu, it's it's submission wrestling. Well, I don't agree with that. It's the same I way. I think it's as, the most practical form of modern jiu-jitsu i think it's have. the most practical form of any jiu-jitsu i mean even even back in the day the 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 gi was brought into play for hygiene and not for anything else you know it, well and, that but i also see it's practical i mean usage in if you're going to be in a combative situation with somebody that is in clothing in that i mean nobody's gonna be walking around the streets in a gi Unless, of course, you're coming out of a dojo with a bunch of other guys and geese. But, right, right. You know, now, there are clothing that semi-mimics it. Like, I mean, uniform apparel, like BDUs and stuff, have dual lapels, but right. it's not the same connection. Well, even your t-shirt, we can make it happen, but it's a, it's not applicable to train in a t-shirt because you're going to have to wear seven t-shirts a class. But can I use it that one time in the parking lot of the movie theater when that guy comes up? Probably, yeah. You get that grip in deep enough, Absolutely. Um, Unless you get a guy like me that just powers through it and rips the shirt off. <laughs> rips the what? shirt off now. What? Well, now you start using nogi stuff because I, I guarantee you, back when these guys are are taking you know traditional judo stuff and, and developing jujitsu, that they rolled without a kimono on. I guarantee it. Just like I've seen super old pictures with you know the original Gracie family members wrapping their hands with a gi on, you know, punching each other. <laughs> You know, uh, well, we're, we're conserving our bodies. We're not going to do this every day, but we're going to know what, what it's about. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's a whole there's a whole side of the jiu-jitsu community that says 10th Planet isn't jiu-jitsu. It's not Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's its own form of jiu-jitsu. Kind of. I mean, he took techniques that were rarely used, made them work correctly, and, they, and, and, and put it into his curriculum. Well, it's better for MMA. Well, it's better for body control in a lot of instances. I don't practice a lot of the techniques they teach, but I'm not going to down them either because they they work. They're good. Um, and in the next 10 years, you're going to see where he's got students that are going to start hitting that high-level mark and start showing that. I get that. I'm, I support it. I don't do it because I, don't, I just... Man, you've got to turn 10th planet to a full-time job to be as flexible as those guys to be able to do it. I, I just can't. I have to work for a living. Um, 
So that's my take on that. But uh, when you start taking, okay, he's, he he only competes in the gi, so he should never train in it. Okay, well, it's hard for him to get rank. Why? Because he can't tie a belt around something that doesn't have a gi? No. No, it's just how can you be a black belt, but you can't teach the little kid how to defend a, a lapel choke? You know, just basic, just cross collars, whatever you want to say. Um... I guess you're right there. You can't really call yourself black belt. You can't teach a kid how to... Well, that's my point. I don't say you have to master it, but you need to be familiar with it. You need to know what it is. And I say all that to say you start taking self-defense out of things, or you start taking violence away from it. You know, and it's not... To me, it's not an applicable martial art anymore. It's just a. It's just another sport, you know, that people are playing into. So this... We can't reap the knee thing, okay? You can't reap the knee in tournament. doesn't mean you don't even know how to do it. Right, that's like yeah. a downward punch into the solar plexus. I mean, All right. <laughs> it hurts like a motherfucker for a reason. But All having right. it as a piece of your toolbox, <clears throat> there's been a few times in my life that I've had to use it. Right. But it will derail a situation faster than anything else. It, that know, and a throat punch. Throat punches work. Throat, they really punch, do. Will, throat punch will handle business. Man, um... They, they they do things real weird. Now let me tell you something. When, we come, when we're talking about leg locks and competition, Mike and is is have you have, did you get to spend time with Mike any? By the way, I gotta tell you this. I've only uh, technically met Mike once. He was not gonna remember me. It was like in passing. He was there. Other stuff. I wasn't gonna get in the way. But when I first started taking Nick to Bateman, it said Hubbard BJJ. So I'm like, who's Hubbard? You know, the first picture I'm shown of you is you and Mike together. Oh, so no. I see this big bear of a man and this little bitty guy. Immediately, I assume it's the bear of the man. <laughs> right. I'm like, he looks like the guy, I guess. And then there's the next picture I see. You're tagged in it, but it's Bateman and Mike. It's not you, but you're tagged in it. So I was like, yeah, I guess that's him. So then, like, a couple of months later, there's something on Facebook, and you, t- you popped in there and said something, and your profile picture had changed. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> that just makes so much more sense. Right. But I was like, how big is Hubbard? And he's like, he's about, you know, about, about, know, about the size of a garden gnome, typically. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, he looks like a bear. And he goes, no, dude. No. <laughs> That's my no. joke. Uh, the beard gives a perception, but, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> he carries a gun. It's all good. But, um,. Mike, you touch you touch an ankle or something on Mike, he'll just get up and leave. He ain't finna deal with it. And that's because he's had some injuries and, and whatnot. Um, and he loves competition, loves to see his guys compete. And that's okay. Again, I, I mean, but it's like, uh, to me, I don't understand why training leg locks in the gym, learning leg locks in the gym has to translate to your competition. You're going to go roll, just don't do leg locks when you're competing. You know, it's real simple. Um I guess the only time that would be like a, I guess I can understand maybe because when you like, for instance, when you're doing like a one, three, one or a one, two, three, um, you get used to that pattern. Yeah. You build a habit. So if you're say, like I said, with the, the layback into a hill hook, if you've drilled that and now suddenly you're in guard top and you go to lay back to set up a hill hook, how far into it do you get before your brain catches up and goes, Oh shit! I, I mean, can't do if, this. If you're training at a level where that really matters, if you're competing at a level where that really matters, towards like, oh crap, I got DQ'd, I'm losing some money now. Just stop a couple weeks ahead of time, 
and figure it out another way, you know, because there's, again, there's, there's levels. I don't want to be that guy that quits training one thing because it's too violent for competition, and that'd be the last. That was that was a thing I needed to stay alive somewhere. Yeah, you know that's that's just part of it. like why 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 are we going through all that? We need to remember why we got into it. If you got into it and your sole purpose was just to compete, okay, I'm for that. I'm for that. And let me tell you this. Let let me say this for sake of argument. If you get in there, if you get into jujitsu and you never ever 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 in your life train a leg lock. Or you never trained some of these illegal techniques or whatever that that we would teach, you know, a long, long time ago. That would be normal. If you don't do those, that you know, this isn't a disrespectful kind of thing because you have more technique now and more probability of staying alive in certain scenarios, self-defense wise, than you would have if you've never got into jujitsu to start with. I get it. I got it. I'm with you on that. Just me personally. I am more adapt to have to use that stuff than more, most anybody else or whatnot, just for my job field or whatnot. Um, or even if not so much me, as I've had to, you know, I've had to see things that that people had to use these things and you know, they had it or they didn't have it to use, you know. And it, when you respond to that kind of stuff every day, it makes you, it really makes reminds you, hey, I need to get my little butt in the gym, you know. I, I hadn't rolled in a while, you know. I need to drill this, so. Um, I guess the, and this, okay, so I know that you're centered more on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but I know you have a wider berth of knowledge than just Jiu-Jitsu. Right. But, so, the way it got broken down for me when I entered into hand-to-hand combatives on an advanced level, not just the bullshit and basic training, but the actual training, is, in, in the way it was brought to me, is that every bendable part of your body has a strength and a weakness. Like your knee you know, in the correct set of, you know, movements, you can walk, you can kick, you can ride a bicycle, but you try to reverse that movement and it's not going to work out unless you're willing to break your knee. Right. You know, your, your elbow, same thing. It's a crux. And on the one hand, you have enormous strength and enormous, you know, um, attributes to the positive, but you go the opposite direction. And there's there's a limit to movement, and then you're you're dealing with torn tendons, broken bones, whatever, shoulders, everything else. So, what I learned was more about pressure point and joint manipulation, um, right. center of gravity, and effective pain is is the, is the way it used to be described. Like, um, this was such a, a a monstrous move to use, but it it, it does work. But a hammer fist or or you know a uh, what is it called? A twelve to six elbow to the collarbone can really interrupt a person's flow in a fight because I mean you're smashing a part that's literally keeping their shoulder in place. It can, it can, and if you ever get to sit in on one of my my classes, or even better yet, get to come to a seminar where we really get to break down and talk about positions, because I like to talk about positions why we're here, both sides of said position, and because I, to me, jujitsu it's. It, you know, flows like water. Great. No, it's more machinery and, and gears. You know, if I know how an armbar works and I understand how you're fixing to attack my arm, if I know where to put that wrench in those gears to stop it, it helps me. You know, well, if someone starts to do this and you just do this, this, and this, well, why? Explain to me why. Well, because they have to have their legs together, their knees pinched together to make this thing work. Okay, so if I get this deep into it and I ain't stopped it yet, I know if I can keep the separation here and keep the pressure off the elbow. Yeah, well, well why don't we start with that? Um, but in saying that, you know, jiu-jitsu is one of those things where you can practice almost 100% and no one gets hurt. 
But that's because we're not throwing elbows at collarbones and stuff like that while we're right. rolling. But why can't while I'm teaching that 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 uh, whatever technique from said position, can I say, oh hey by the way guys look, see this little thing right here and this little thing right here. If I smash those together, it's gonna hurt him real bad. You know why can't we talk about that? Um, it's it's an, it's important. It's important to do those things. It was there was a a tactical uh, philosophy that they used is the the quickest breakdown of the human body and it went um of course a foot stomp which right. is a quick way to shatter somebody's foot especially if you've got a good pair of boots on and you come crashing downhill first into the center of the foot itself there's a lot of breakable shit in there oh yeah so now you're, you've enabled you know disabled somebody's ability to walk sidestepping into their ankle possibly shattering their ankle dislocating their foot um a front kick to the knee straight right. on i mean you're potentially smashing that knee backwards um the, the the funniest part was it you know so i go well, what about the femur <laughs> I go, if you think you can break somebody's femur with a single hit you go right ahead this is a very hard bone very dense yeah but to an unsuspecting person a knee to that soft meat up against the bone in you know a dead leg is what they call it you know that can take somebody out of a fight and then it was from there of course groin strike interior thigh there's a lot of you know there's a lot of nerve endings in that interior space especially around your major arteries um and then of course we broke it down uh, there were there was a that upper part of the hip where that bone rolls in right there there's real right. nice soft tissue in there it hurts right. floating ribs solar plexus liver of course <laughs> kidneys right. um collarbones um arms had all kind of you know hands that was my favorite part of joint manipulation was hands and wrists because if i can make you do what i want to make you do first it makes you feel silly and second of all it's really funny to watch somebody deconstruct themselves when they don't realize how much more manipulation you have over their body than they do <laughs> especially over a small hand and wrist and, and that's something that i do a lot is um you know and i've watched videos and videos of guys trying to subdue people and gain compliance and they're they're two hands on one arm, and they're trying to fight that arm, and it just shows the lack of training people have, or the lack of awareness over just how much you know the top of the hand and the wrist can turn things. And I'm not talking about magic pressure points; I'm talking about real shit that really works. Oh yeah, and just you don't. catch, they just you don't take that it. mag light and smash that. Oh, dude, <laughs> man, the back of that hand just below the knuckles, it hurts. <laughs> it's crazy, and we teach a lot of that, you know. So what what we've done in some of our courses is instead of teaching combatives on a separate level and then teaching handcuff and baton on a separate level, is we combine those all together, you know. Of course, there's a day of this is how the cuffs work, this is how they're designed, this is why they're made this way, this is why this kind is made this way, and this kind is made this way, your preference on what you carry, our policies to carry one of each. Um, you know, this is what you know, if you're if you're trying to subdue someone, you do no, this. No, you're you saying this, you two this. different types. Something like swivel cuffs and traditional link cuffs. Yeah, and there's they even breaks down to different. You know, polymer made. Some steel of them made, are so just, easy to pick. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. Um, My but, bobby pad, dude. Seriously, <laughs> I it's believe so it. Aggravating how easy like Smith and Wesson cuffs are ridiculously easy to pick. And we're not teaching people how to pick cuffs. <laughs> I was in the military, brother. I can't help. I learned some things. <laughs> I know it. So. um... <laughs> You know, but as far as in the current curriculum that the state teaches in the police academy is um, there's not, they teach cuffing and all, but as far as the, the actual, um, we're just going to call it combatives on use of, um, we're, 
sign things saying that we're not allowed to talk about the name of the course and we're stuff. We're not talking about Fight Club. Right. That's the first I, rule. I know, but no kidding. In the academy, they actually make you sign a thing saying, you will not teach or show these techniques to anybody. And I'm like, I teach this in a curriculum every day in my jiu-jitsu school because it's made by John Lee Smith, one of the original black belts in Alabama. But there's no actual cuffing involved in the actual combatives. They, all right, there's, cuffing, you, there's a cuffing opportunity here. You know, we like to do it. We actually like to cuff from there. Because, again, you watch some of these videos of some of these cops. And I, I listen, I've been there... Where it was like, he's like, man, I'm never going to get this guy. I mean, this It's just, this this is going to take forever. Somebody needs to come hurry. You know, there's sometimes we just lose fights. Sometimes they end up on video. It just happens that way. But, um, you know, most, most times it's from lack of training, not just lack of ability or they just got beat. It's just lack of training. See, what you do in that instance is on the way down, you just drive that knee into the kidney real good and then keep it pressed in there and convince them to give you their hands. Uh, rumple Stiltskin works every time. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna Rumple Stiltskin. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it, it it happens that way. But you know, we, if violence needs to be in your martial arts training. There there has there needs to be some in there. I also feel like it needs you need to experience pain at least to some degree, because you know even Mike Tyson said everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Yes. And if you don't know how to react. To physical pain and you don't know how to react to that moment of being stunned by somebody that didn't wait on you to pull the trigger that didn't wait on you to swing first right and you don't know how to react when you've got a, a an eye that's quickly swelling shut and more pain following it because you're, you're still standing there getting hit going right. uh uh right and, <laughs> and this is one of the crazy things you know and i, I i'll revert back to this a hundred times is i watch debates online martial arts debates online Oh, this one does this better, and this place does this better, and this one does this, and this does it. This style, does, well, what if this happens when you're doing it? Okay, you're right, 100% right. Um, you do, uh, you do need to experience that pain. You do need to experience those parts of, uh, you know, the the martial arts experience of getting beat up and whatnot, so you know how to react to those things, or at least know that you can react when that happens. Um. But at the same time, you know, if you, if you're that person that, or you have that one guy that that he gets beat up a couple times in the gym and he doesn't want to come back, you know, don't don't we don't want people to get discouraged because if if they come just on the easy days, that person's way more likely to survive something than oh he got beat up that one time he never want to come back to the gym. And I learned that the first time that that we opened up the school and started teaching. We probably had a bigger fight team than we actually had clientele base. So every night almost was what we call meat eater night, where it was just guys were in there just chewing folks up, and we chewed up a lot of new guys. And I was young, and it was you know we shouldn't have ever done it that way. Um, and I'm not saying you need to be courteous to everyone to, to try to pay your bills there, but you need to be courteous to everyone that way your buddies that you're going out with all know some kind of martial arts or at least know what you're doing. So if you get into a fight, they can help you out, and not get in your way. Uh, you want to see some people that that get in each other's way? Watch, watch, watch a fight with three or four guys and three or four cops, because they're gonna be pushing and pulling and doing everything opposite of what they're doing. Because they don't train together, they don't do that stuff, you know. And uh, and they're and I tell you, I say they don't. There's a lot of agencies that that are getting a lot better at it. Um, and there's a lot of cops now. And the biggest thing with cop mentality is, well, they don't pay me extra to go out and train jujitsu on my off time, or well, I only get this many hours allotted this month for 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 physical training, physical fitness hours. 
this month. I'm not going over that. That's dumb. Well, now you're getting a lot of cops saying, hey, I'm not going to survive today's shift if I don't if I do not do this. You know, and they're, they're doing it on their own time. So, and what's happening is you get people that are, that, that aren't getting hurt as much. You're getting, you're getting people that, um, you're getting cops that aren't going hands-on as much because they don't seem so scared and suspects wanting to fight them. Um, true story. Uh, is this safe to tell? <laughs> yes. Yes. True story is, um, in the academy, they showed us a video of a guy that had killed a police officer and part of part of his story was when they interviewed him in the jail was that was his second interaction with a cop that day he said the first time he got pulled over and the guy walked up and his uniform was all starched pressed ready to go he stuck his chest out he spoke to him like a man handled his business went back to his vehicle came back handed him citations whatnot told him this is what's going to happen this is your court date this is how you're going to be said he was super professional went back to his vehicle he said i couldn't take that guy he said it was the one that got out that looked like a just, you know, a bag of turds, walked up, was unsure of himself. He said, I got out of the vehicle, and the guy acted like he didn't want confrontation with me. I said, oh, I've got him now. Killed him, went to prison. You know, so we want people that have some kind of confidence about themselves, you know, and, and a lot of these cops are gaining that by doing these things, um, getting a little extra training. And, I, and when I say cops, I mean, you know, that's one group of people that has to have this. But for me... You know, I don't. I don't want my kids to be police officers. You know, um, but uh, if they want to, they're, they, that's something that they gotta have. You know, we do medical Mondays sometimes. We do training where, you know, not only something that can save their lives, but dad gets hurt cutting the grass. Hey, I, 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 we know how to apply tourniquets. Um, the way my house is laid out, um, if my boy wants to. Uh, you know, or or has to. He he knows how to clear the house from his room and get to his sister's room. You know, he knows how to maneuver that part with his weapon and get back to his sister's room. And if anybody comes in Sissy's room, that's not mom or dad. He know he knows how to handle business. You know, um, and that's that's something that every American needs to do. Every American needs to do that way. Um, it's it's a sad reality though. I think, and and I had kind of looked like. Not only like a paper so much, like a report kind of thing that I had done a while back. It was a 50-year time glance from like 1955 to 2005, I think it was. Something like that. And it was like... Now granted, I understand that there, in, in that time frame, there were civil rights issues that were tragic. And Absolutely. there were ways that people were being treated that I'm, I'm not... That's not what I'm revisiting. What I'm revisiting is... There was a culture feeling you could leave your car unlocked. You could leave your house unlocked. Absolutely. You could trust your neighbor. You could borrow things from your neighbor. If you had 10 neighbors, you probably knew them all by name. And they knew who your kids were. And you knew who their kids were. There was a more communal feeling. There was... Now, I'm not going to say everybody liked each other. I'm not going to say everybody appreciated each other. But there was definitely more of a communal feeling and so if if you and the kid down the road had a beef with each other well you just duked it out and whoever won won and that was that and you might have to lick your wounds and you may have to you know dust yourself off or whatever but on monday unless you two just fucking hated each other you were over it and he just had one on you and that was that you took your ass whooping like a man or you gave your ass whooping like a man. However, it went down, and I'm—I've been in a lot of fist fights. Right. 
I have not won all of them. Right. I will never be that guy that says I've never been defeated. Oh, I have had my shit kicked in. Oh, yeah. I remember Where's getting it? jumped by some Korean fellows. That was not a fun time. But I had just enough time to call for backup. And once we started to turn the tides, I got even with a few people, but not without getting some wounds in the process. Right. But it's something about that... I don't know if I was born into it or if it was just something that was meant to be there, but I'm a scrappy dude. I, when it came, when, once I figured out that in a, in a, a hands-on, fist-to-fist in, encounter, I could handle the pain, I could handle the outcome, and I was willing to give it as I was getting it, the fear of that went away, and it just was gone. So... In every conflict that I had up to a point, it was kind of fearless because I knew what to expect. I knew that I could get hurt. I knew that those hurt, those you know, hits could hurt more than just now. I right. could have bruises and broken teeth or broken bones or cuts or whatever. I may have to go to the ER, whatever the case may be. But because I was mentally prepared for that, I was able to go into it. Whereas now... There's been several times I've wanted to smash somebody's face to a plate glass window. What stops me from doing it is because I no longer trust that that person can handle the ass whooping. Right. And I don't want to spend the rest of my life having to look over my shoulder when, you know, Tom, Dick, or Harry gets out of jail from the ass whooping that he got for dis- whatever the case may be. Let's pretend I'm not at fault. And then what? Then he's got a vendetta to settle. And instead of being a man and fighting it out, I'm probably going to catch a bullet in the back of the head. Right, and that, that comes to the world we live in now where we have to understand that violence exists in the world we live in. Absolute violence. Absolute violence. And here's the thing, is if you're not preparing to receive that violence, you're failing your family. And yourself. You're, you're failing your family. It, you, but that's exactly what I mean. If you can't take care of it yourself, you can't, if, you can't, if you can't fight your way out of that battle... You're you're gonna you're something bad can happen to you, and then you're not there to help your family anymore. And I would take you know? this as far as if you're not comfortable being in a hand-to-hand altercation, why are you not at a gun range being familiar with your pistol? One hundred percent. Why correct. are you not? Because I mean, this is the oh my god, I get so goddamn mad when somebody goes and buys a firearm, never shoots it. Right. Well, what are you going to do in that moment that you need it? You're going to fumble around with a fucking magazine that hopefully you didn't try to load backwards. Right. You're going to then have to chamber around unless it's a revolver. And then what? You know, I've actually read law enforcement policies in certain areas that don't allow them to carry rounds in the chamber. Not only that, I can tell you when I lived in Washington State, you couldn't carry the ammunition and the weapon in the same container. Nice. And they had to both be locked. So let, let's think about this for a second. You're in a, a robbery scenario. You now have to get to your vehicle. You have to find two separate containers, unlock them, remove separately. the... Separately. Remove contents of said containers, load weapon, chamber round, defend yourself. Get, get sights on target, press trigger yep. to the rear. Right, while the guy who didn't care about the law enough to rob you, didn't care enough about the law to have his own gun out and shot you in the face while you're attempting yeah. that. And that's and took your shit. Yeah, um, I, I never understood that. How the fuck is that safe? It's not. Other than there's that goddamn idiot that has the loaded fucking semi-automatic that drops it down between his seat and there's an accidental discharge. Negligent. Yeah. 
Negligence. Uh, I like my idiot buddy that shot a fucking hole through his leg with a 357 because he was trying to hide the weapon. And, uh, Loud bang, the, probably give it away. Yeah. Where it was after that. Yeah. And the screaming blood curdle. Yeah. And he had a hole you could guess. stick your finger through. It was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, but it, it is, it is nuts, man. Um, that people no one's out there. Thigh. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, people that don't believe that it's, it's necessary for those things or, um, you know, my kids aren't ready to, uh, my kids aren't ready to learn how to use firearms. It's a wise decision as a parent. Um, but is that your decision? Or are you making that, you know, decision for the kids because you know they're not ready? Are you not ready for your kids to be able to handle those things? You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of issues out there in the world when it comes to firearms. But it's just like jiu-jitsu or anything else. You know, it's a skill that, that you've got to have. You know, I, you know what? I don't need it. We've got this. I got I got some guns in the safe. That's fine until you are absolutely helpless fumbling with that combination or you're absolutely helpless trying to get to the other side of the house when you're listening to your little girl scream and someone's dragging them out a window. You know, right That's here. That's when you got my crazy ass diving out that fucking window. I don't right, need a gun at that right, point. Right here, in, it's <laughs> right here in central Alabama, research it. We, we, have, we, have, we have sex trafficking cases made here constantly and i'm not talking about sex trafficking as far as prostitution goes or or adults and this i'm to little kids little kids being sold because mamas post pictures outside of their elementary school in front of the sign that say first year of kindergarten or first year of school welcome to kindergarten kid and it's got the name of the school behind it well then that creep snatches it off facebook and says all right this kid's between five six years old blonde this many feet tall this many inches here, now we know what school she goes to. Now we know what times are coming in and out of the school. Sells that child, goes and kidnaps that child. Okay, it happens. It happens here. And we got parents that are not prepared to, to protect their family. Oh, God. For when that stuff happens. They're not prepared for oh, it. Oh, I pray that nobody's dumb enough to try to snatch one of my children. Because I honestly believe that's the moment you're going to find out what that demon that lives in the back of my brain is capable of. Everyone, He's chained up. He's chained up. <laughs> but he can come out. It can, absolutely, absolutely. Willingly unleash some shackles and, and let him ride on out. Um, you know, so it, they, they, all need to, they all need to be able to handle it. They all have to be able to handle it. Um, now, I'm not telling you that any of my youngins carry live weapons in their rooms and have complete access to it and stuff like that. No, no, not at all. Um, but if it comes to it, they need to understand how to use those weapons they need to understand it i'm not saying when i say how to use them i'm not talking about competition shooting can they can they do a 25 yard qual course with a handgun can they shoot a 300 meter course with your with your rifle no that's not what i'm saying they have the sense enough to know that if i if i get up and i run to the bathroom real quick after i just got home from work and i drop my gun belt on the floor in my bedroom not to go take the gun out of the holster and start trying to play with it do they know better than that okay do they know that if it's quiet at night and it, it's dark in the house and they're sleeping, a loud bang comes from the living room where where a wind where a window is broken and someone come through it. Do they know to stay below four feet? My house is below four feet. Um, we have trim on the walls. If you're below the trim, typically you're safe. Um, do they know that that if something happens that we're moving we're moving? What room are we starting to work? What what room are we fighting to in the house? You know, um, do they know that if somebody comes in the house in the middle of the night and tries to take daddy's stuff, daddy's going to shoot them? 
Yes, they know it. They're not going to be traumatized. They, they they need to be more worried about if they hear something like that and they don't hear daddy's gun going off. You know that 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 kind of stuff. Do you, and I'm not telling you to scare your kids into into hiding in the house for the rest of their life. But if your kids don't know violence is in the world, then they're going to climb in the back of that van. I mean, that's just part of it. You can tell them, hey, strangers are bad. Strangers are bad. But until you tell them why strangers are bad, they're not gonna. Well, that's why I've I've kept a very open philosophy with my kids. Like, I don't feel I'm not saying I'm right. And goddammit, it, if you get on my message boards and start sending me fucking helpful parent parental advice, don't. I don't need your advice. <laughs> right. Listen to me, listeners. I do not need your advice. I have my own fucking process that works just fine for me. Both of my kids, straight A students. Oh, Nick, yeah. Nick finishes the year with a 4.0 GPA. Absolutely. I couldn't be prouder. But the thing that I've given myself credit for, my wife credit for, is we've never babied our kids. Never had a reason to. I treat them as young adults because I'm not saying that I'm right. I'm just saying this is what works for me. But I felt like for a philosophy, one of the things I hated about my upbringing was there was a whole lot of no, but never a why. Right. So I get that you're telling me not to drink alcohol underage, but why? why? I get that you're telling me not to have sex underage, but why? I get that you're telling me not to do this drug or not to go down this road or not, the, you know, but you're not giving me the rest of the equation. So at one point, Nick had said something to me about him and his, at the time he had a girlfriend were considering smoking pot. And I was like, all right, so how are you going to pull this off? Because you're not doing it in my house. Well, I was thinking about doing it after school. Okay. Well, where are you going to put it? Where are you going to have it? Where are you going to hide it at? Because if you take it to school with you, you're fucking up. I mean, you can do it, but understand the risk. What if, just so happens, that's the day they come in with the drug dogs? And understand you're bond money doesn't just happen. Right. Know? But I'm yeah. saying, but play this out. Like, I mean, if you're going to make a decision like that, which if that's what you want to do, you have been given the right to form your own opinions and your own decisions about stuff. The deal with that equation was if you're going to do that, you also have agreed to accept responsibility for whatever the outcome is. If you don't study, you can't get mad when you don't make an A. Right. If you don't do the homework, you can't get mad when the teacher doesn't give you the extra credit. If I mean, if, if you're not going to put forth the effort for the outcome, you can't get mad when the outcome isn't what you want. Right. So, so after I ran through all the scenarios, he didn't do it. But that's how I treated the situation is... Let me give you all the pieces to this puzzle. I've been down that road. I know how all these pieces go. I know what it's like to run through the woods from the cops. I know what it's like to drop my stash somewhere. I know what it's like to be freaking out because I hear the drug doctor in the school and I happen to have a fucking quarter of weed in my book bag and I'm like, shit. And luckily for me, the certain teacher that used to help me out goes, dump your shit. Right. And I did. <laughs> but, you know, it's... Because I've lived life the way that I lived, I was that asshole that had to, I had to headbutt the wall to know that it hurt. I had to burn my hand on the flame to know it was hot. I had to do it myself because nobody would give me the logical why. Right. Like the first time I had sex, not to get into that whole thing, all I knew was you weren't supposed to do it until you were married because that's what God said. Well, then... The girl that was older than me decided she wanted to have sex, and I was the available male. We had sex. Right. It wasn't that I antagonized it. I didn't ask for it. I wasn't the one gunning for it. That shit just happened. 
and it was weird. I didn't know what the, I didn't even know where the fuck it went. That's a sad thing to embarrass myself and admit to, but being sort of sheltered like that, the only pornography I'd ever seen was a Playboy magazine, and we know that's kind of oh, classy. Yeah. They're right. not telling you where things go in a Playboy. Right. So, because there was this lack of information, I went on the hunt for the information. Right. And I was able to form my own opinions about things like I probably would have done stronger drugs had I not witnessed the effects of those drugs on people. Right. Like right. seeing friends yeah. that I thought were well put together get off on crystal meth and I see them a year later and their skin's pitted and there's huge sores all over their face and they're missing teeth. And they're, oh, oh, oh man, hey man, it's been so, so good to see you. And I swear to God, five minutes was the limit. Five minutes is how long it took for your crackhead friend to ask for money. Right. I haven't seen you in two, three, four fucking years. But I need some gas money. But I need some gas money. Right. Or, hey, man, can you spot me on a burger? I mean, stupid. Like, yeah. Really? You were the one person that I figured would be going to college and be a doctor. You were yeah. the one I would have thought would have been in real estate or something. Now you worried that the walls are talking to you at night. Yeah. You're fucking yeah. chewing on paint chips and crying <laughs> about that empty bag of pretzels that's still empty from three months ago. Right. Yeah. And it's seeing people like... I remember uh, one of my friends called me freaking out. His wife had gotten off real bad on painkillers, man. I mean, real bad. He comes home from work one day. Fucking TV's gone. His guitars, his amps gone. His computer's gone. Fucking couch and love seat were gone. The only thing that they had left in that house was what was in the kids' room and their bed and some clothing. That was it. This bitch had even sold the fucking dishes. Nice. All to get drugs. Then he found out later on down the road, and this was his wife at the time, if I recall. She was fucking for money, too. Yeah, I mean, he if you're going to sell your got, dishes... Uh, he ended up getting, I want to say herpes from the whole situation. Nice. I mean, what a, what a trip. I mean, drugs that... T- I mean, I think we'd have a conversation after that. You know, we'd have like a, probably a... Probably a good sit-down conversation about yeah, life decisions. with a lawyer. Yeah, with a, with a mediator present. <laughs> Probably a cop as well, and a good distance between the two of us while right. I'm scratching my sores over here, right. going, what did I do to deserve this? Right. Oh, message board people also understand this, that the things we're talking about. We're not talking about um, paranoia. We're talking about preparation. That's right. Um, so I don't care about what you think about the whole, you know, y'all just do that because you're paranoid. No. No. Um, believe me, some of you sheltered people can see the stuff that, that either one of us has seen and you'd probably be paranoid over every step of your life. But this is preparation. This is not, it's not paranoia. I'm not scaring my, my kids are not scared after any training we do. I'm so you're not, not a scaring. prepper. Um, I mean, I'm. I, guess, I mean, I don't know if any veterans could, that aren't sort of preppers. We're sort of prep. I, I pre. I have a lot of ammo. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got um, I've got a lot of medical supplies, uh, but no, I don't. I don't have 13 years worth of food in a bunker outside. I can't no. afford it. If I could afford it, I probably would, but I can't. You if know, I could so. afford the underground bunker, I would just probably grow pot. <laughs> yeah, man. That's my bug out plan. There you go, man. <laughs> You'll be too high to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, you know, but but my my children understand that that evil is real, that it does exist. Um, you know, and, and the best gift you can give your family, the best gift you can give your friends, um, is situational awareness. Is teaching them about situational where have how to have situational awareness. You know, we're not saying you have to be able to fight because you're gonna fight. You have to be able to fight and 
in case you fight, but the more people that you put on the mats and introduce to martial arts that you give quality martial arts training to, understand that people can choke you and kill you. Where, and everyone in Alabama should know this, Alabama, listen, if you're from anywhere between Texas and South Carolina, and you're a bordering, you're, you're a bordering state, you understand that every male in the world believes he can kick that other guy's ass. Especially and, after about half a case of Budweiser. Right. Because you get a natty light in somebody, it's over with. I know. And, and Where do you think Hold My Beer and Watch this came from? Some dumbass about to fuck something up. Between Texas and South Carolina. That's right. border, he says so. <laughs> so, um, you know, but these people have so much confidence and ability that they don't have. You know, when you mess with that one guy who, and here's something else with, with martial arts is the, the incorrect martial arts training. And some organizations that don't believe in teaching certain techniques because it's too dangerous when it's not too dangerous. Well, what happens if you choke someone and they don't tap out and they go to sleep? We're just not going to teach chokes because that could be a thing. Or you well, they'll could, wake back up. Or you could teach it the correct way. They'll wake back up unless they hold it for four minutes because they decided to try a choke one day when nobody was paying attention and didn't know how to do it and killed someone. You know? Or autoerotic association. Yeah, R.I.P. So, uh, <laughs> you know... Um, <laughs> They, uh, you know, is we, we can teach them that these things exist. So before you get to bumping off at that guy in the line of the, the, the walk-in or whatever, you know, the restaurant, you're popping off at this cat, and you're like, you know what, I did take a couple martial arts classes. I bet I could take this fella. Or maybe you just know that this fella could kill you. Or maybe you go do that concealed carry, that drawing from concealed carry course, and you know that, hey, this guy could kill me. Maybe maybe I need to handle this a little bit different. Or the, that one video where you see the people getting into a fist fight or putting their finger in someone's face and cussing them while they're holding the hand of their toddler child. What happens if you get knocked unconscious and your kid's standing there defenseless? Not saying that person would take your kid and run off with them, but your kid just watched you get knocked out. Now they're traumatized. Yeah, try to tell them to clean their room now. Or your kid takes three steps off into the roadway because you're not there holding their hand anymore. You know, what? <laughs> what do we do then? You know? But people people believe that they have this this ability that they may not have, you know. Um, so uh, you know, for me, I'm not gonna go and jump on somebody, but at the same time, I'm I'm not gonna be bullied. I'm not gonna be taken either, you know. But like I said, it's it's not paranoia. It's preparation. It's if you're in a job field or something that makes you have it, then you know, good for you. You gotta have it. But I don't care if you're a mail carrier. I don't care if you're a single parent or you're a stay-at-home parent. I don't care what you are. Something at some point in your life you're, you're going to wish you had training for. The, the, and the, This is where I feel like, and I guess every generation has a feeling about the coming generation. Like, you know, I'm sure that when a World War II veteran looks back at, or looks ahead at this time at, at, for the few that are still alive and they hear people bitching about, you know, inhumane conditions of Afghanistan and they're like, motherfucker. Wow. Let me tell you about Normandy, son of a bitch. (laughs) Right. Goddamn pushes. I watched 700 of my friends die. Right. I mean, quickly too. I mean, you know, there was, there were men with bigger balls than we will ever know. Right. Find me 4,000 people that are willing to basically march to their death, get out of boats that really shouldn't have ever been on the water in the first place, Having people die rapidly around you just trying to get off the fucking boat. Then you've got to get onto the beach, get up the beach, secure bulkheads. I mean, 
they don't make them like that anymore. There's only a select few well, anymore that are truly... And, and I served with some of those motherfuckers. Let me tell you something. Right. They still exist. Right. But I get out of the right. service and I start watching a decline of something. And, and this, I think you'll understand too. Our society is systematically erasing the alpha male. Yeah. And it's that... Not that I'm saying that... The chauvinistic, egotistical, asshole male exists for a good reason. There are various levels of alpha males. There are some that are alpha assholes, and there are some that are alpha leaders. Right. And sometimes they can be hard to differentiate depending on how much coffee or what kind of day they're having. But the thing is, is that there needs to be a balance of people that are willing to go and do and people that are willing to sit and figure it out. But the people that are just going to sit there, watch, gripe, and bitch, have had enough of that. And it seems right. that the generation coming into play is so goddamn sensitive about every little fucking thing. You can't say anything anymore. You can't do anything anymore. You can't. But they want to have the platform to tell you how wrong you are for everything. But you're not allowed to tell them they're wrong for feeling that way. Well, let me give you my, my view on the entire thing. Please do. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, the generations right before me has had some fuck-ups end up in leadership. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I'll get... Uh, that comes back circle in a second. Um, there probably are 4,000 people that are willing to jump off that boat and do that same thing, but we're not needing to anymore. And when... Like, my grandfather was one of those guys, and I'm telling you, he he is not wrong when he says those things. But I do believe that there's a lot of people that would still do it that way. It's just not, not call for it. We don't have to. We have so much um, better weaponry now. Absolutely. absolutely. What's that, Tomahawk? But I'm really glad that those guys did everything that they did. You know? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, it also solidified us as a nation of, of war-hungry animals that didn't yes. that weren't afraid to, to gnash their teeth and bring a blade and a bullet. Yes. Now, here's what I'm telling you has destroyed everything that we believe in that way, and it's social media the reason that we know about this stuff because i believe that the people that are walking the earth today and the people that were walking the earth 80 years ago and in, in, in our exact settings um are they're not different but some of these people that are super sensitive and and whiny and wah they were able to be changed at one point into men because men grabbed hold of them and made them do that they had to adapt or now they can sit behind the computer at home all day and talk mad shit. And talk mad shit. They're allowed. <laughs> and now, now here's where I'm going back to the generation above me getting their leadership. Is they're allowed to be offended and they're allowed to 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 voice their opinions on being offended on certain things. They may be offended over one subject. They offend nine other people talking about how they're offended over that one thing. But it's okay because that that one guy in leadership that one time said, "You're offended. I'm sorry. I'm terribly sorry. You're offended. Let me fix this for you." And then that person grew and grew, and now we have a whole evolution of little sissified fairies over here that are offended by everything. Offended by everything. And that's okay. I'm off- I've am i probably been offended five times a day. But I, I can't... I'm offended right now. I, everyone's offended. I mean, I've, I've been offended two <laughs> times as we've been sitting here. But being offended is okay. Being offended is okay. Being, what having happens feelings, when you get offended? I uh, grow up. I no, I'm saying, on. what happens when you get offended? Like, specifically what happens when I get offended? Yeah, like, say I said one word that was, like, the, the equivalent to the N-word of a black person, okay? Okay. What happens? 
fucking nothing. Nothing changes. Nothing. Not a damn nothing. thing. Nothing changes in the world. But this is this is the thing that pisses me off about this whole shift. Is the one thing that these yuppie jackasses, these youngsters that don't, they haven't been adults long enough to truly feel the gravity of being an adult yet. The, the, the real spearheaders, the little young fucker that was on TV talking about needing to ban guns after the last major shooting of some sort. That guy got some, some heat and got somebody kicked off a TV show or some shit. Anyway, the problem that none of these idiots get is you are fucking with my freedom of speech. Right. It's not that you have to like what comes out of my mouth. I never said that was a requirement. Absolutely. You you don't have to like anything that comes out of my mouth. Right. But that's not your goddamn job to decide what comes out of my mouth. Nor is it my job to make sure that everything that I want to say fits in the confines of what you are allowed to hear. That's not my job. And I shouldn't have to think so hard about what I'm trying to say. Now granted, do I need to drop F-bombs everywhere? No. Do I need to say racially insensitive shit? No, in fact, I wouldn't agree with it. Do I need to go and make fun of hordes of people to offend them? Do I need to talk shit about different cultures while in front of that culture to make sure they know I don't agree? No, I don't. Absolutely. But at the same time, I should still have the right to. Right. And if I get my ass kicked for it, that's the price I paid. But it's to the point now. They're starting to make laws where like people like you who are in that, that sector are going to have to start understanding several different gender pronouns. Right. The problem that I have with that is male or female, that's been enough for a long time. Whichever one of those two you identify with, I can completely wrap my head around that. But why do we need more than that? If you're a male living as a female and you want to be called a female, as long as I know that up front, I will call you a female. Even if you look like Perry Mason, I will call you a female. It doesn't bother me at all. If you are a female that dresses better than Fred Durst, good for you. If you want to glue hair on your face, also fine with me. If you want me to call you Bert instead of Bethany, fine with me. But do we need 63, 67, 70 talent? I'm a pansexual. No, you're not. I don't Actually, know I think everybody's means. a pansexual. I don't really know what that means. Pansexual but... is probably the only new one that I agree with. Okay. Is that, <laughs> is that people, honestly, I don't know that people are inherently gay or straight. Let me explain. If you were born in a world where there was no cultural difference whatsoever, and you found this guy attractive... And this girl attractive. And you had no reason to believe that dating either one would have been a problem. Then you would have had the freedom of choice. Okay, that makes sense. That is what a pansexual is. is somebody that doesn't differentiate between male or female. It's just, I thought it was one of those guys person. that played a flute at the mall. No, that's that's a flutist. Okay. That's a musician. That's no, I, thought, I thought that was a... Okay. No, but so. So <laughs> the, the rawest definition of pansexual is that you're, you're unhindered by the social constructs. You just find a person attractive or interesting. You could be anybody. You could be white, right. black, male, female, transgender, doesn't matter. And that's one that I actually agree with because I think that's really what bisexuality is. I think it's somebody that's not... Like, for me, little TMI, there was a time where I I did have that question. Am I gay? Am I straight? I didn't know, and I took the time in my life to go figure out. I can tell you with absolute certainty I'm straight. 
Right. Yeah. I right. mean, it, it was cool places to hang out. I got to meet a lot of very interesting people. But when it came to the sexual aspect, just wasn't working out. Right. It wasn't being I mean, me. If, if I see my wife naked, I'm hard. It's going. Right. Know, if she's going to say yes, I'm ready to go. If not, I'm just going to have to wait a few minutes. It'll go back down. Right. <laughs> right. If I had had that same reaction seeing a male naked, then I would have understood that, that maybe I am gay. Maybe I am bisexual. But that was the thing. There was no... Nope. Just not there. I mean, right. can I say Charlie Hunnam's hot? Yes, I can. And if I look like that motherfucker, I would exploit the shit out of it. Right. I'd be like, look at my nipple. Just to make <laughs> girls go, ah! Right. But it's being around gay people, being around people of different cultures, being around transvestite people, it taught me it's a brave individual willing to step outside of what the social norm is and go, I'm going to live this truth no matter the cost. If you're willing to take medications and change your body and go through all of this stuff just to live what you believe is your truth, I have mad respect for that. Sure. Sure. Now, if your truth is murdering children and wearing the heads of dogs, I don't know that I'm okay with that. That's weird. No, That's... I'm pretty positive I wouldn't yeah. be, but, you know, and and, and I, I get all that. I definitely get all that. And that's fine. It just, what blows my mind is that somebody at some point Wants has to marry instead... a dinner plate. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody, somewhere, somewhere in the line of leadership is we found these this group of people that get so offended by, you know, the way they're labeled or the way that other people are labeled. Like, they don't mind their own business enough to really, you know, move forward with their own life. They have to be offended by other people's issues. Those are the people I hate the most. Like, for instance, white people that come to the aid of black people and try to defend black people on their blackness, but they're not black. Like, you have no idea they're that dude's struggle. You have no idea what that life is like. You have no idea what it's like to be that person. So what the fuck are you doing talking about it? Or if you're defending I... some transgender person that you've never met, you're not transgender. You can't be their fucking mouthpiece. You said it better right there. You said it better right there with mouthpiece. You can't be their mouthpiece. You know, we're not saying we can't come to that aid. You know, that's that's get, what I mean. I'm saying the right. person that's getting on CNN isn't the person with the issue. That's not the, it's the person, person mad about the person with the issue. And you it's don't. you're not the person. Shut the fuck up. Right, right. You you want you want because I I understand that there's racial diversity in this world. I absolutely. Understand. You must have got a dick pic. <laughs> you got that dick pic look on your face. <laughs> You, no. Not you. <laughs> okay, like, yeah. I realize now on the podcast, it's going to sound like I was saying that to you. Yes. My wife walked in the room with a grin on her face, and I thought she had got a dick pic. Not my Hello, dick. I was about to do that. I'm about to go to bed. Conversation. Oh, man. No booty tonight. Good times. <laughs> Good times. Yeah, so no, um, racial equality, um, you know, there, there's a lot of issues in certain realms of the world. Some others, I believe, are. I don't want to say are make-believe, but I definitely want to say are blown out of proportion. Um, but listen to me. Don't give me the offended person to, to come to the aid. Give me the affected person. There you go. That's what I. That's who I want to come to me and say, this is the problem I have. Okay. All right. Cool. I, I got you. Well, when you talk to people, work this well, thing like out. Well, like when people go, they said... No. No, no, no. That's not what I want. Tell me what happened to you. You know, talking <laughs> right? about the people that really oh, yeah. have an issue, but instead of being honest about it, they do that. Well, I heard 
No, no, you fucking didn't. You yeah. put that shit together in your head, and you want to talk about it, but you want to put it off on somebody else. Um, God damn it, I had a point to make. One change I would love to see in the world, just me personally, I think it would be a, a slow-rolling beginning to ending the, the a little more of the racism in this country. We need to take the goddamn like census paperwork off of everything. You don't need to know if I'm white or black or Native American. Stop asking. Please stop fucking asking. Nobody needs to know that shit. You know what offends me? It says white, not Caucasian. I, you know what? And honestly, I've never <laughs> met a black person. Not a single not one. one. I've met various shades of brown. I've met various shades of yellows and peaches and, and more reds yeah. and pinkish. Never once have I met a black person. And it's always confused me how the, the, the colors have become our identification. Right. If you're Asian, you're yellow. If you're Mexican or South American, you're brown. If you're African descent, you're black. If you're anywhere from Europe, you're white. I mean, it's... Right, so it's, right, right. And it's such a... If, I'm willing to bet 85 90% of most people, if you dig into their past enough, you're going to either find Genghis Khan... Some Zulu tribe in Africa, or you're, you're going to find out how European you really are. And right. none of us are really 100%, unless your whole family is from that one region and never moved, you're going to have a variation of who you are. So this, when people talk about cultural difference, it's like if, if we would just talk to each other, if we would just share our stories with one another and stop immediately assuming that because you live on this street and in this neighborhood and drive this kind of car, wear this kind of clothes, that you must be a certain way, we fit in where we fit in. And the reality is we got to stop looking at it as racism and look at it as tribalism. We are right. used to being in our tribes. Right. And we usually, if you watch groups of people long enough, you either see people form toward people that look the same or you see people form toward people that think the same. It's usually nowhere else. I mean, you get a bunch of screaming teenage girls at a Luke Bryan concert. They're probably never going to talk again. But for that night, it's very funny that my wife just tempted you with a donut. Oh, yeah, the donut thing. Fuck but for that one for night, they're all best friends. They're all in the same... They're, they're, they're in a, an environment where they have a like thing. Right. So when... If we could tear down that wall of... It's got to be about white or black. It's got to be about gay or straight. It's got to be about male versus female. And accept that the tribalism needs to be geared more toward people that think the same and less about more people who look the same. We probably would have better outcomes. Maybe. And see, I wasn't even getting that deep into it. My thought was, I don't have time to go get in a tanning bed all the time. So you're telling me that I'm pale or I'm under tan for your likings is something that I really didn't want to deal with. But uh, I get what you're saying. I, and I, <laughs> I, no, approve, I, I approve your statement. So. Just, you know, I've tried for a long time to break down, and it's over the years, it's the whole white privilege thing, and, and it's something else that, yes, I am by definition white. But fuck off on that privilege thing. Man, This, you know, what you're sitting in, I don't even own this. This just happened to work out. But I have been homeless. I have been broke beyond understanding. I have literally combed the parking lot of Walmart to find enough pocket change to go buy a pack of ramen and eat that shit dry just to have a meal in my belly. I mean, right. I've been through some shit. Right. But at the same time, who do I blame for that? I blame myself. 
It was my own damn fault, my own damn dumb decisions, trusting the wrong people, trusting in the wrong things, making foolish, half-assed, thought-out plans and not following through and not, more importantly, not have having had the time to take care of my mental health over my physical health. Right. And when I finally got that train back on the tracks, it's been work. And, oh, yeah. I, and I've had to grind harder and work harder than I probably should have at this age. I probably should have gone to college and had a better education. I probably shouldn't have joined the Army right away. But I did, and I lived my life the way I lived my life. But because of how crazy and chaotic, it has given me a world of friends, a world of knowledge, an absolute gigantic bag of experience and right. wisdom that I probably wouldn't have had this early in life had it not been for that. Right. I'm, I'm right with you, man. Right with you. But at the same time, do I get the looks in public that I think some of my black friends do? No, I don't. But I can't fully understand the why. There is some of it I believe is white hate, which I'll never understand. And then there's some I think is just simply indifference. But those same people look at me the same way because I'm tatted up. And I look like a prison inmate sometimes. And I look like a murderer sometimes because I keep my hair short. And I'm a big guy and I have a scary look on my face. Which most of the time I'm just trying to remember what I went in there for. Right. And I get that furrowed brow and I'm always in dark sunglasses. And they're just like, oh God. I've literally seen people walk away from me. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it, I have had that on my side for a long time where people leave me alone because they just assume. But not everybody's going to have that luxury. Not everybody's going to be 6'1 and 240 or 250 pounds and can right. stare holes through people. Not everybody's going to be able to lunge a little bit and watch grown men, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. And what's funny is I'm as scared as they are. Like, they just right. don't know it. I have a better poker face. <laughs> right. And my thing is I've got about 17 seconds worth of cardio in me right now. So right. what can I do in 17 seconds? <laughs> right. Man, it it... it... It all just needs to come down to us just being a people in a whole and, you know, like-minded thing. people. I understand that, but, you know, it's, it's we get to a point where we, we separate ourselves because we get into a tolerance thought, but we don't believe in true tolerance. We believe in trying to push a lopsided um, scale and put more weight over on the other. Well, it's been this way for this. Maybe, maybe if we compensate and put more weight on this side, then everything's going to be okay. Well, that's not how that's not how it works, you know. We we don't we don't need to do it that way. Um, but we also don't need to hold a, entire cultures responsible for the ignorance of a few. Absolutely. And that's where absolutely. I think a lot of the older crowd lose it. And that goes in absolutely every direction. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely every. There's not a single. Not a single culture. Not have a you single... ever met? I mean, you said your grandfather, but have you ever listened to World War II veterans talk about the Japanese? Yes. Every Japanese person I've ever met's been hella cool, super nice. But yeah. I also wasn't in World War II. Right. I have nothing to do with Hiroshima. You know. Right. I mean, so like I've known some old codgers. You can't even bring up Asian cuisine around them. Right. Y'all going to that goddamn Tokyo restaurant? You'll never catch my ass in there. Yeah, my godfather, God bless his soul, he um, he was not at all that way. Which then again, it wasn't far down my family line where they immigrated from Europe 
and then turn around and fought in World War Two, which my grandfather went to Japan. He didn't he didn't fight in Germany, uh, which would have been I guess pretty. Hey, you want to talk about some some uh, <laughs> some equality there, right? You know, oh, we, we're going to fight against this. Hey, can you imagine being a, a, a German immigrant and having to go back and fight in Germany? <laughs> that would have been awful. Not only but, that, uh, but be a Jewish German immigrant having to go back and fight oh in Germany. Oh my gosh, <laughs> man, wouldn't that be crazy? So, um, yeah, no, we, we weren't quite that bad off, but, uh, you know, he, he, was, he wasn't, and that probably helped out a lot in the childhood was, he didn't bleed a lot of the whole military lifestyle over, and he didn't ble- bleed any of that hate over into us, you know, of of that kind of uh, that kind of, like like some other some older old guys I know where it's you know, will, you know this is exactly what you said you know anything anything of Asian descent to them is just absolute evil. Um, my grandfather wasn't like now he was not a fan of any of the grandkids ever ever joining and being in the infantry or anything. I don't do the don't. Uh, I mean, if you got to, but don't, you know, like, like, but, you, you know. You shoot your eye out. <laughs> right, right, but, um, uh, quick story, uh, my grandfather did teach violence. And when I say violence, I don't mean hatred, I don't mean attacking like people, I mean understanding that violence exists, not how to impose violence, but knowing that it's a real thing, he did teach that, um. My grandfather was in the 6th Infantry Division, the 6th Marine Corps Infantry Division, which is the only division to ever be put together and never touch foot on U.S. soil. Um, they took Okinawa, had certain had certain op plans out that needed to form a different group of people, so they grabbed people from, from every division that was on the ground, said, hey, give me this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy. Y'all are the 6th Marines. Okay. Took Okinawa, handled business. A lot of them died. Couldn't hold up the division anymore, so they disbanded it. Sent them back to their home ways, and then they, you know, continued on with war. Sixth, Sixth Marine Corps Division never touched ground U.S. soil. Hmm. Um, super cool thing. And uh, so he got out and lived a lived a pretty nice life, and uh, died in two thousand one. But um, was in the infantry. Uh, so you know he. He never said anything bad about the military. And that's another thing about some of those old school vets. They're like diehard military. Everybody's got to serve so many years or they were completely against it. I know infantry guys from that era that were completely against the military. Completely against the military after that. And it was like, you know, that's that sucks. <laughs> that sucks to know that you guys exist. My grandfather was a weird enigma with that. He was very pro-military. Um, he just wasn't, he wasn't, you know, if you don't have to be in the infantry, don't do it. You're just going to tear your body up. That's you know, true. You're, there's not a lot of job opportunity when you come out. You know, if you're going to go in the military, do something that, that can help you. Get, oh, I, I respect that. I respect that, right? Um, you know, and, but he was a cool guy, he, and he taught about violence. And, again, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that, you know, we need to teach your kids to go out and attack people. So that's not what I'm saying, but... There are kids that there are people out there in the world that believe that they can paint a picture of a of an elected official that they that they can cut his head off and it's okay. But if you call them by the wrong sex walking down the street, they will have a come apart like you tried to murder them and it and it's too insensitive and they can't handle it. Um, because they don't understand what true violence they don't understand that it's real that somebody can actually hurt them. Well, I got my safe space over here in my pinto, you know, so I'm okay, you know, nobody can hurt me there. But you need to understand that somebody will kick your windows out and drag you out of that thing and take your vehicle. I'm not saying you need to do that. Yeah, they don't make a bulletproof pinto. 
Right, <laughs> right. I'm Ford not, tried, uh, you know, but I'm, then they got rear-ended, and you know what happened. You know, yeah. So, <laughs> so I, you know, I'm not saying that we need to teach our kids to be violent people, but we need to. They need to understand violence exists. Now, my again, my children, um, one of them got a pretty good ways in the martial arts world, and then he got real big into football, and he just really doesn't. He doesn't care to practice it. Um, a couple times a year, maybe he goes and gets on the mats, but he just doesn't too much care for it. My little girl. Um, loves loves the scrappiness of it all, but she just she doesn't she doesn't have the um, attention span to go get on the mats and actually do a class yet. And I'm not I'm I'm not mad. I'm not I'm not gonna make them do it. Um, Colton likes to shoot from time to time, um, but he's not a, a super gun enthusiast. I'm not gonna push him and make him be that way. But I guarantee they know violence exists. And before they go walking off. You know, when I'm sitting in Walmart, before they go walking off somewhere by themselves, I can I can watch them look around corners before they go. I they I can tell that they understand that something's out there. They don't they don't walk up and they'll be polite and they'll be courteous, but they don't carry on full conversations with strangers. You know, and if they do, it's oh well, my daddy's right here. You know, or so you know they they tell people that they don't they don't they where I I have seen kids. It's amazing. I was in a store not long ago. And watch two kids have a full conversation with this guy on the same aisle. When I first walked on the aisle, I thought that this was a parent or something. About, no kidding, five minutes into the conversation, as I'm looking for something, partially, like you said, forgetting what I was in there for, and then you know, and I'm listening to them talk, I'm like, maybe this is a family friend they hadn't seen in a while. And then I found a reason to stay there and listen. And literally 20, 25 minutes goes by before I realize these kids have no idea who this guy is. And they're giving them their life story. He's telling them, well you, well, you need to get your parents to buy you. They're talking about a WWE belt. If your parents won't buy it before you come back, say, I'll buy it for you. Having this full conversation. Oh, no. Eventually, I walked over there, identified myself as a police officer, and said, hey, listen, if you don't know these kids, this isn't somewhere we're going to talk right now. Uh, I'm not trying to ruin your mood or anything like that. But hey, kids. you know." And I, and I separated them from that conversation because I could just tell it wasn't going somewhere. You know, that need where it needed to be going. You handled that better than me. My kids aren't going to be in that situation because they're going to be like... No, Dad will buy that belt if I want to. Uh, come arms, ask him. You come see my big arms just come through the rack on the other side and just pull the guy through. <laughs> and I'm over there sheltering the kids and hoping that they don't grow up one day to believe that their safe space in the back of their classroom is a real thing. So, um, you know. I mean, that, and that's the thing is that these these young adults, these these teenagers that think that they can beat their chest and, and yell to the, the skies you know, all this injustice and this social justice, this, the problem is, is that for those few people that really need the space to have the platform to speak on true social injustice are getting muted. They're getting smothered. By the ignorance of right. people that think, like, and it's stupid shit like this, like the picture of Steven Spielberg with the triceratops behind him and the girls screaming out, how could he kill that beautiful animal? Like, bitch, that animal's been dead for 10,000 fucking years. Right. At least. At least. Right. And that's and that's if you just go off the Bible. I don't know. It could have been a lot longer. It could have been millions of years ago. I wasn't alive back then. Right. I don't fucking know. I might have right. been a triceratops. I don't I'm know. I'm not sure what happened in the 80s. I wasn't there. But I know what the story is. Fucking Ninja Turtles were awesome. Hey, man, listen, you tr Ninja Turtles are a huge reason why I got into Jiu-Jitsu, to be honest. Cause, uh, I love being a turtle. I love martial arts because of them and Darkwing Duck. So, Darkwing um, Duck and Launchpad, dude. That's dude, what's up. Don't even know what that launch what. Launchpad was his driver. Oh, his, yeah, yeah, yeah. His pilot. I thought you were talking about a completely different thing. I was like, no, yeah. I don't 
God, I don't know about that one. Oh, huh? yeah. Dude, that's... Oh. Yeah. And then I got in the spawn. Yeah. That was yeah. a dark motherfucker right there. Yeah. Oh, sweet Lord. Yeah. Modern day Robin Hood almost, actually, so... I yeah, mean, but it's... A lot more evil. But hey, you know The thing that I will <laughs> give... Though, the thing that I will honestly give Todd McFarlane over a lot of the other comic book guys, and I know we just took a massive right turn, is that he embraced... Al Simmons being black right off the beginning. Don't even know what that means. Al Simmons is Spawn. Okay. But before Spawn became Spawn, like before he died and came back from hell and became the the, the hell Spawn, like yeah, I don't remember he was a other special names and stuff, I guess. special forces guy, uh, right? Navy Seal, something like that. I forget. Right. But it was just, I I don't think people understood the cultural symbolism of or symbology, whatever one it is, symbolism, symbology. Sure. Yeah, let's go with that. Whatever one. Yeah. Hey, uh, Grammar Nazis out there, whichever one of those fits, just pretend I said that one. But the fact that he didn't even blink. He didn't even blink about it. And when you've got, on the other half of the equation, how many black superheroes can you name in Marvel? That Frost guy, was he in Marvel or no? What? The the dude with the ice and the... What was his name? <laughs> what? <laughs> No, that couldn't have been Marvel at all, because that's the Incredibles movie. What the fuck? <laughs> it's Frozone. Frozone? Which I mean, Frozone. I guess kind of is Marvel now, if you technically connect the dots for Pixar to Disney, Disney to Marvel. But <laughs> Not kidding, today I went to the movies today with the kids, and they watched yep. Hotel Transylvania 3. Yeah. I fell asleep before the movie started, woke up to the credits of Lexi saying, Hey, Dad, time to go. So, um, that's yeah. kind of, that's how I do things now. I felt bad because I took my youngest boy to go see The Incredibles too, and I was kind of excited about it because it's been a really long time, and Incredibles was a pretty good movie. I liked it. I don't like cartoons, so for me to say that I like this movie, I've kind of been I a fan of... I too, but... Most of the Pixar movies have been pretty good, except for Up. Fuck that movie. This <laughs> is goddamn awful. sad. The whole guy just want to live his life. <laughs> goddamn Boy Scout shows up and reminds him of his dead wife and they fly the house with balloons and they meet a talking dog. And, uh, uh. I thought it was... A- did the dog talk or the bird? Well, the, the boy. It was the That's voice. That's right. The, the voice, voice box on the bird was just retarded. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know these things, man. I but don't know. it's, you know, so I, I'm all prepared. I, we got the popcorn. We got the drinks. I don't know at what point, but uh, I fell asleep. <laughs> oh, I know what point. I fell asleep because I laid four chairs down. <laughs> laid down. Must be nice to fit across <laughs> only four. Only four. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? It is what it is. Leave me alone. Yeah. Leave me alone. No, uh, being tall has its advantages and disadvantages. I promise you. I believe it. Everything is is. People are built for whatever they're built for. Yes, it's after midnight. Good night. We have gone all over every subject matter. I think. Except for mainly what we're supposed to talk about, but we did squeeze some BJJ in there. We did. We did. Do you we want did. to promote anything? Um. Listen, all my people. All my people, um, we're going to get this in comments and stuff like that, but uh, I owe jiu-jitsu and, and the, the, a lot, you know, my career right now and stuff to, to, to lead me into the path that I wanted to be in because of martial arts and, um, you know, right now we're trying to turn around and give that back to some people as well 
anybody anybody that wants quality stuff uh, if you're in the Montgomery area look up Team NXG you can type that into Google Team NXG Combat Sports yeah Coach Bateman is fucking phenomenal right Coach Bateman is absolutely great listen you know what and as far as jiu-jitsu goes I outrank that guy we got to, I was a brown belt <laughs> I was a brown belt when we got together and uh, started working this thing out I promoted him to blue belt you know now he's a brown belt you know he's been working under me the entire time and um he has taught me a lot about my martial arts. You know, just, just uh, we've worked, we've worked good together. We've worked good together. Um, I love him to death. He, we share a lot of the same philosophies. Um, so yeah, that definitely, definitely, you want to put quality place. Go down there and check it out. Um, anybody out there in the world that wants to talk about any of this kind of stuff, you know, we, we, we do this a lot. A lot of my job. Um, requires me to sit on a range a lot and i do i i mean when i tell you a lot i mean we we spend a lot of ammo and we spend a lot of range time a lot like sometimes i even i'm like you know i don't i don't even and then i come back to my americanism I'm like, you know no, it's okay i'm gonna keep shooting but um i do you know i do invite people to come to the range i don't show tactics a lot of times but you know if anybody wants to come out and, and put rounds down range in a safe manner with a bunch of cool cats you know, we have grills and whatnot on our range, so we just... Where is that at? You know, we're several, we have several places in Chilton County that we shoot at, but, you know, hit me up, and uh, we, can, we can go shoot and talk about it and eat a burger or something, you know, so... <laughs> uh, but definitely get up a, get up with Coach Bateman, um, get set up. You want to experience some of the stuff that I'm talking about on a, on a, on a legit level. Um also, anywhere in Alabama, anybody wants to know quality places to go train outside of us, I am not afraid to give that information out either. Um, I love a lot of people. There's a lot of people doing really big things in Alabama. I don't expect you to drive from Birmingham to Montgomery to train jiu-jitsu a couple hours a night. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we can spread that info out. Just ask for it. Now, where is, uh, so do you currently have a gym that you're training out of? No, just everything that we do is out of NXG here in Montgomery. Okay. Okay. Well, now and we have we have a training facility at the the law enforcement side, but we're not really supposed to put a whole bunch of civilian personnel no, no, in that no, kind no, of no, scenario. No, so no, so legal liability and stuff, you know. No, so. you don't say. Uh, but. Wow, man, uh, we dude, we did it. We we've now you will officially be my longest cast. No, we're kidding. we're in the two twenty range now, which I think is awesome. Once again, my guest tonight was Josh Hubbard. Uh, I will put links in the description to uh, so if you guys are looking him up or whatever, if you need to, just get a hold of me, and I will uh, handle it. Also, check out the Omega uh, fuck, Project. There we go. The Omega Project, which is how all of this came to light with uh, smash, uh, Smashing Moments and the Queen's Insight. Um, all of that will be linked in. I'm fucking terrible at this part, so if I'm tripping on my words, uh, so. It is after midnight. It is. It is. I'm late as shit. I, I think I was supposed to be in bed like two and a half hours ago, but I wasn't going to miss this opportunity. So when you sent me like, well, I think it was Tuesday, I'm, I'm free Thursday. I was like, fuck yeah, we're getting this thing done. Hey, we're doing this again if I'm invited back or not. Oh yeah, you're I'm invited gonna show back up. for sure. I'm just going to show up one day and be like, hey. <laughs> Part two, motherfuckers. <laughs> let's, let's do this. I will not do $80 worth of pizza and wings next time though. I will actually cook. Because I, I really wish I had cooked now because it would have been so much better. But right. I did not know I was going to have Surprise Company. Um, that wanted to be on the cast to tell a story about getting kicked out of karate, which he did not do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, J-Rod is J-Rod, man. He, he's, 
Uh, bless his heart. We've we've had numerous conversations where um, we'll start in full intent to have said conversation, and it just never works out. I've that. experienced that tonight. So. <laughs> but it's just it's not to make fun of him at all. He that, there's so much I can't tell you, but he's going through so much shit that honestly, the fact that I still see him smile is is pretty good. indicative of his character. I mean, he's he's a good dude. Good. But um. Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, and <laughs> fuck, I don't know what I'm doing my next episode, but I'm sure it won't be as good as this one. So you guys <laughs> have a good night. Peace. Sweet.